Okay, so this is The Week in Doubt, and this is a special interview episode. And today I have my old friend and fellow podcaster, C-Webb, a.k.a. Chris Weber. Well, maybe C-Webb's the a.k.a. But, uh, Either for, way. For, you were, <laughs> C-Webb's not your Christian name. No. Um, you were formerly the host of C-Webb Sunday School, and you want to branch out and not be pigeonholed by being confined to the topic of atheism. And so you started Paranormal Skeptic Academy, which is an excellent podcast in which you pretty much apply reason and scientific thinking, critical thinking to ghost hunting shows and cases of cryptozoology and things like that. Um, and, uh, I wonder if before we start, I just wanted to quickly say uh, thanks to Ian LaSalle for liking the Weekend Out Facebook page. I hope I didn't butcher his last name. I have a thanks, hand. Ian. Yeah, there you go. Double <laughs> thanks. And then also I want to thank Frederick. I think it's La Chapelle. La, mm -hmm. La Chapelle. Go with it. Just go with it. First pronunciation. Go with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Dave Chappelle, but French, like Frederick La Chapelle for uh, becoming a Patreon supporter and uh, pledging three bucks a month. Those are the ones we want, the That's Patreons. Right. The Patreons, man. Give me the fat They get stacks. extra special love. So any listeners out there to The Weekend Doubt, if you want some extra special love, become a patron for my good friend Phil because you know he's been working hard at this podcast for a long time. I think I first reached out to you, God, I was probably – 2012 or yeah three years ago almost god damn man it's a long time ago but if, and you had you're probably up to 50 episodes at that time yeah that's uh, i mean if my math my math's not that good but i don't know what episode you're on now like oh so. geez i'm on like 160 now yeah so that's, that's that's probably about right about 50 i feel accomplished and depressed at the same time <laughs> there's just something i think innately about the passage of time that, you know, it's, I think the older you get, the quicker time goes by. And when you realize just how much time has gotten by you, it, there's always something that makes you feel a little crestfallen. Or, yeah, that's why I hate yeah. those damn Facebook uh, timeline Oh, updates. the reminders? Yeah, I hate those. Because, like, I'm like uh, the, the old saying they say, you know, the days drag, but the years fly. You know, when oh, you're in exactly, the, man, exactly. Yeah, when you're in the middle of something and you're just like, I like, man, is this day ever going to end? It's been a long week at work, this, that, and the other. But then you get that Facebook pop up, and you're like, oh, three years ago I was doing that. It's like, that was three years ago? You're like, that was just, like, you felt like it was just yesterday. You yeah, like a blink of an eye. barbecue or something like that, and all of a sudden it was like three years ago. And you get depressed. You're like, oh, that was three years ago. And you're like, oh, I want to be at the barbecue again instead of, you know, middle of the work week. And so it's damn you, Facebook, for bringing that up. Yeah, because I think everyone knows that I kind of have two jobs. You know, I went to school for graphic design and i do a little bit of freelance design but you know I, i'm just i i'm super neurotic in a way where i hold myself back from trying as much as i should do in certain areas of my life so i'm still working for the family uh construction or remodeling business mm -hmm. um even though i have this graphic design degree and uh, I've been trying to push myself into doing design more. And I actually, right before I called you all day, I've been working on my portfolio site. I finally got it uh, back up today. And I'm not kidding. I think it literally took me longer to launch the site 
than it did to revamp it, like the creative side of it. Right. Because you have to go, I had to log into GoDaddy. You know, it's like you got three different logins. You got yep. your regular login, you got like your cPanel login, then you got like like a third FTP login. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's like GoDaddy is always changing its structure. I think they used to have a their own kind of a FTP client that was part of the package. Now they offer you like these ones that have been kicking around for years, like CyberDuck or whatever it is. Yeah. So it took me literally longer to figure out how to lo- upload the website than it did to make the creative changes. But I, I finally got that up and running. But anyway, the reason why I'm talking about all this stuff, because we're talking about the passage of time, <laughs> which is scary because I designed one of my first, my first business card I designed for myself while I was still a student is 2008. And sometimes I feel like I graduated just like a few years ago. Yeah, yep. And all of a sudden I see the back of that damn business card. It's like 2008. I'm like, what happened? But it's like all week we've been renovating a house in Winchester, Massachusetts, had the got the inside of it. And uh, I almost feel like, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Conan, when you had to push that uh, that (laughs) That wheel wheel. that that ground the grain or whatever. And everyone's dying and dropping dead and he's still pushing it. I had to carry like 80 pound sacks of like uh, plaster dust and and debris, probably literally almost a hundred sacks back and forth to like the dumpster. It was in like the eighties and nineties, humid dust caking the inside of my nostrils, even with a mask on my hair feels like it's completely caked, you know, it doesn't even feel like human hair anymore. And I'm like, why the hell am I still doing this? (laughs) And then like, I'm like every, Every hour seems to go by like half a day or something, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, but at the same time here, it seems like another week went by like an hour. Yeah. And I'm another week closer to death and stuck in the same job. (laughs) Now, do you think that's like an evolutionary uh, adaptation? Because it's almost like it's, it's needed for our mental survival. Because if you relived every second... Uh, as if it was a second, we probably wouldn't get anything accomplished. That's probably true. I think that's a really fascinating subject, the uh, perception of time. And uh, it's very tempting to want to go off in some kind of quantum physics, <laughs> you, you know, uh, route with it, where is is everyone's perception of time the same? Is Are there these other forces at work th- that affect uh, our perception of time? But that's a really good point. I think there probably is a survival mechanism aspect because if you were really aware of every proverbial grain of sand falling through the hourglass, you'd probably go nuts. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because I think like almost as when you're saying like everyone's perception of time is different and to a degree. And now I'm no expert on this. I don't have any education or, or research in, into this, but just based on my own intuition here, which is inherently flawed. Um I think everyone does have their own perception of time because you experience the reality that you think is reality differently from everyone else. The only reason why we know um, that other people exist is because of theory of mind, because we we experience something so we can we can project it on the other people that they also experience things. So so in a sense, I think everyone's experience of time 
is different based on perception, but the overall, I think, general passage of time, I think it moves at a consistent rate or at a consistent rate where, where we won't notice any small changes in it. Of course, there's some, there's some changes in time as the universe expands and all that stuff on the quantum level, even to a degree that you know, everything's influenced to a certain degree by something. But I think at, on, on our level, on our level of perception, I think we all do experience time at a different rate. I, I think you're um, exactly right about that. Because if you have a little kid that's looking forward to getting uh, a toy at the end of the day and he's sitting in school and I can go back to remember like when I was a little kid and stuck in math class and waiting to get out because I knew I was going to get this new like transformer or whatever. Right. And time creeps by incredibly slowly. Or even if you're an adult and you're not particularly enjoying your your work on a given day, time creeps by incredibly slowly. Well, there could be someone else who's on the beach or who, I don't know, is at the Playboy Mansion or something, or <laughs> whatever yeah, it is, and time is just flying by for them, or maybe yeah. they're on vacation or something. So time is probably still, there's probably still set principles uh, at work, right. but it's just the individual, the mental perception of it. And I can't believe we're talking about this stuff, but this is actually one of my favorite topics, maybe a, a kind of perplexing and uh, frustrating one too, but I'm kind of a common sense philosopher. You know, I'm a, a natural philosopher or a person who's naturally philosophical mm -hmm. and I can, I have passing knowledge, academic knowledge of the various philo uh, philosophers throughout the ages from the pre-Socratics all the way to the enlightenment philosophers and stuff. But mostly, I just go on what seems right to me, where my reason leads me, what seems like common sense. And when I think about time, and this, is, this might be naive, but I've always wondered to myself, is time really a thing unto itself? I know the mm. experts say it is, but my common sense intuition about time is it's a human concept that we use to measure physical, biological uh, phenomena like growth, decay that we use to um, that we use to kind of measure the rates of natural processes or uh, like whether it be the, how many revolutions are, um, around the sun, the earth goes a year or uh, like I said, um, growth, decay, things like that. Mm -hmm. But if you t listen to someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson or actual uh, physicists, they will tell you that time is indeed an actual thing unto itself. In fact, it's kind of one with uh, space. You right. Space-time is an actual thing, a phenomenon unto itself. And that's so hard to wrap my head around because to me time seems like an abstract notion that we would create to kind of measure our mortal lives and the phenomena that we see in the natural world and the, but uh, what the hell is time you know what i mean yeah that that's that's a very complicated and detailed question because you say what is time but we're we're living in time you know, time is a part of the very fabric of our being from who we are to the universe. Um, and and it, you could assume that time wouldn't exist without the universe, right? right. And so we're, we're a part of it. And uh, do, do you ever see him use that example where it's like, you know, like uh, 
time is like a fourth dimension. And then when we look out at the universe, we see a flat paper. And then if we remember an ant walking around and all we see is this flat paper. But if we we're up above it and looking oh. down, we would see all of it. We would see the fourth dimension. We, but when even when they explain it like that, my puny mind just goes, I, I don't, I don't get it. You're, you're, you're probably right, Mister Science Man. But <laughs> I, it's so hard for me to fathom. I wonder if it comes from the fact that I think a lot of um, the the kind of advanced equation and mathematics that they crunch in in order to do astrophysics. It, it seems to imply or it's necessary to assume that time is an actual thing in order to make the math uh, work, or that seems to be what the math is implying, in that space-time is an actual thing. But but you're right, it's very hard to wrap your mind around. And uh, I forget who it was. Maybe uh, I just started listening to an atheist. It's been around forever, but I, I, I'm, it's weird because, you know, I came to uh, my atheistic worldview on my own. I didn't drink anyone else's Kool-Aid. Right. And uh, so I'm still a little naive in certain regards, and I'm still uh, becoming familiar with some of these big name atheists who've been kicking around forever. Like I, I only discovered Dan Barker. Like mm. last year, I remember you talking about him before that. Yep. And I just started watching debates with David Silverman yeah. uh, from uh, American Atheist. Exactly. I, I almost said freedom from religion, but that's, that's Andy Dan Taylor, uh, Gaylor, is it? And uh, Dan Barker. Oh, what's yeah. her name? I forget her name. Annie something. Annie, Annie, Annie Laurie Gaylor? Annie Laurie Gaylor. That's, it. that's yeah. it. Yeah. And I think they're husband and wife, right? Yeah. Yeah, they are. I don't know if you've ever seen it on YouTube, but I don't know if it was the first time they met, but there's uh, an old Oprah uh, interview from the 80s where they're doing like this panel discussion and they have Annie and her mother up on the stage and Dan Barker, skinny as can be with a full head of hair. <laughs> and it was actually before they were married and the way they were talking, I don't even know if, if they knew each other well before that. But it's amazing. But as you can uh, imagine, um, Oprah was very kind of passive aggressive, if not just plain old aggressive, towards them in their atheist worldview, as was most of the uh, audience. And, uh, you know, it's almost like they're looking at the atheists, like they're these complete weirdos or cultists or something like that. Right. I think this was back in the 80s. But if you haven't seen that, you should look for it on YouTube. It's pretty uh, trippy. But I think David Silver David Silverman said something I never heard about before, where he suggested that the universe may not even have had a beginning, so we don't have to worry about dealing with how it came into being or whether mm -hmm. or not God was the banger of the Big Bang. Um, and I don't want to kind of, you know, slander him if I'm wrong, but I do remember a skeptic or an atheist, a big name I was watching on YouTube recently, yeah. posited that. And that's kind of nutty. I don't know if he's being intellectually honest or he's just going to extremes so he doesn't have to deal with the problem of where did everything uh, come from. But I, I, oh, think, go ahead. I think I think that the, the theists and atheists uh, alike have to deal with that. Infinite that regress, issue, right? yeah, the infinite regress as well. I, uh, based on my, you know, my limited knowledge of what 
how the universe came to be. Um, it started somewhere, uh, and it had to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, it could be one of many starts. Uh, not not that this one starts collapse. I know that was a, a theory posited uh, a while ago that you know, the universe would expand and it would contract and it would expand and contract again. But now the evidence shows big that it crunch. Yeah, the big crunch <laughs> that was constantly expanding. Now we could be one of many bangs and an infinite number of bangs. Um, but I think the universe that we currently reside in had a beginning. Whether that beginning was God or it was just a chain of events of, of an infinite number of, of events is, you know, that's the, the debate, quote unquote, debate that's going on. But I don't think that our universe always existed in, in the one that we live in. Yeah, that think- seems even harder to wrap your mind around than the Big Bang. Um, and I think mainstream science points to. Uh, the Big Bang and that the universe had a beginning. Yeah, I think that's pretty... Uh, I mean, that's I hate to say extreme. settled. Yeah, I hate to say settled, but that's the prevailing theory on... Based on expansion, the ongoing expansion of the universe. Yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of a fringe theory. I mean, I think in the research I've did, you know, I, I kind of moved on from the atheistic side of things. I'm still kind of involved in the community and in some of the... The, the aspects of it, but I'm, I'm more focused in the paranormal. But from what I, I remember doing some research into it is that the the idea of the Big Bang is not very old. The theory of it is not very old. Um, and by old, I mean it's maybe 60, 70, 80 years old. Yeah, uh, I think it was meant to be um, kind of pejorative at first, wasn't it, by the person who coined it, that they themselves weren't an inher- adherent of the... Uh, the idea, but it turned. Yeah, it, I thought it was like a, a religious person, a priest or somebody. Maybe if I'm getting my facts, I may be getting two stories mixed up. But I think they might have been. A, that could be possible, but they may have been a scientist too. I think. I I, I distinctly remember talking about this and went on the Sea Web Sunday School podcast. So if any ambitious listener wants to go back and listen to all of them, and you should because they're great and they're awesome. You know, I do the most <laughs> fantastic. Are, actually, I yeah. do the most fantastic. Podcast out there, I'm I doing the best. That's what I do. That's my Donald Trump impression. <laughs> my podcast the, is huge. My podcast is huge. It's beautiful. It's just gorgeous. Everything's wrapped in gold. That's what I do. It's Fred huge. Hoyle. Fred Hoyle. That's who uh, coined it. Um, he's still alive. Oh, no, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he died in 2001, aged 86. Uh, Fields, astronomy. Well, yeah, he was. he said Big Bang Critic. Sir Fred Hoyle, astronomer yeah. noted primarily for the theory of stellar nucleosynthesis, which is actually what I um, uh, oh, focused on in? as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in between Holland College, flags <laughs> in uh, graphic design. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, but this is funny. Uh, I like the way that you brought up. Um, how you kind of moved away from uh, just the, the the topic of atheism because, and in this fight, I remember the last time I talked to you, I was telling you how a person who, who left a, a honest, maybe somewhat negative iTunes review of my show, who goes by the handle Speedwalker Five, <laughs> said that uh, I monopol I monopolize the conversation too much when I'm doing interviews. And remember last time I was kind of half joking, saying how I prepared questions. Yeah. Beforehand. Well, you see, see, I don't think of our conversations as interviews because we we spoken with each other so many times. It's almost just like conversations, just you know? like friends talking. Yeah. 
Yeah, two brilliant minds getting together and trying to solve the world's problems. I, mean, well, I had this do. like picture of myself just now, like I'm on my deathbed decades from now, and I'm like, Speedwalker 5, Speedwalker 5. <laughs> Damn you, Speedwalker. <laughs> it's like that episode of uh, Seinfeld with, uh, was it Bosco? Where I don't know if you were a big Seinfeld fan. I, I never got into it. I was a big Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, fan. <laughs> that was an awesome show too. But I think George Costanza was like, sitting vigil at at the de- uh, at the deathbed of this old woman who is she was the mother of one of the big characters uh peterman on the show and uh her last word her dying word was bosco which was like they're trying to find out what it was if it had some deep meaning it turns out it was just the name of some like chocolate drink <laughs> kind of like like quick or ovaltine or something like, who's this speedwalker? I don't know. He brings it up every time. I don't yeah. know. It well, it's like it haunts me. It's like it's probably like two or three years later, and I still remember this random uh, handle from iTunes yeah. because they <laughs> criticize me. It haunts me. I wonder if Speedwalker Five still listening. I don't know because if hope they so. if they do, I don't know if it's a he or she. If they do, if they just know the impact they have had on your life, I know that. And uh, <laughs> I think I told you before how I felt bad because. On the air, I might have uh, stepped on their feelings because in that same interview, interview, yeah, in that same review, they also said that they continue to listen to me despite the negative aspects <laughs> because I remind them of a deceased boyfriend. Hello. And I, I joked on the air, how, well, you know, it's pre-recorded, about how I got that feeling, like they say, you just felt like someone just walked over your grave. Like, it was yeah. kind of weird. At, at the moment when I read it, like being compared to a dead, te- being told you sound like a dead person. But in retrospect, the uh, the more distance there is, the, the, the worse I feel about it. I'm like, she probably misses this person. Maybe she gets some comfort that there's someone who has a voice mm. similar to that person. And there I was kind of... Kind of engaging in gallows humor but what do you gotta do no man you, you, it is what it is you know when it comes down to it you're doing a show we we do podcasting because we want to do it you mm-hmm. know obviously it's not lucrative no <laughs> we're not going to make a living we're not going to quit our day jobs no uh, uh, once that flame is gone the, the the podcast is done and that kind of is the reason why I stopped the C-Web Sunday School because the flame was gone. I wasn't passionate about it anymore. I, I said all I needed to say about that topic. Mm-hmm. I was comfortable in my own beliefs to where I reached a point where I was like, I'm good. I, I If I learn more, that's fine, but I'm not thirsting for it anymore. Um, I wanted to move on to something new. And the paranormal just opened up a whole other world out there. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, it my skills translated perfectly into the paranormal and I think even better into the paranormal um, because being a skeptic, you know, being a skeptic doesn't mean just dismissing everything out of hand. Being skeptic is letting the evidence speak for itself and following where the evidence leads. And everybody in the paranormal community has their own idea of what they think evidence is for their little pet theory. And no matter how many shows I watch, no matter how many shows I review, there's always something new to research and learn. Um, take, for example, uh, the, the, the Jesus Mask episode oh, I did yeah. recently. Yeah. And even though it's not necessarily a paranormal um, uh, topic, it's still a skeptical topic. And, and I feel with Paranormal Skeptic Academy, I, I can do more and have a, a bigger pool of 
stuff to pull from to create content. And, and I didn't have that with CYS Sunday School. I was too pigeonholed. And that's – I really wanted to talk to you about that because I caught myself – Actually, I noticed I was thinking about you, not in a sexual Aww. way. Yeah. Well, hey, either <laughs> way, a, what do you yeah. mean? I, I, I was thinking about you and also my other uh, you know, fellow podcasters and stuff, the, the ones that we're all friendly with. And I was thinking how I don't even think of you as an atheist anymore. I think about you as a skeptic, and I think you and I, and actually most high-profile atheists, don't, you know, have issues with the word atheist or the label atheist Mm -hmm. because it's demonized, it's loaded. People often misunderstand it. The first misconception people have is that it means you think you know with 100% certainty that there is no God, but it's more like you're just going where your reason and the evidence seems to lead and you're doubtful. And it's like your atheism can fluctuate. Like I even heard, um, I'm trying to think of that big, Victor Stenger say in a debate that he's agnostic when it comes to the deist God, when it comes to some vague notion of a higher power. But when you want to get into the Christian God, the more precise you start getting, the more atheistic, you know, you are, because then you're dealing with something that you can see is plainly man-made. Um, but yeah, I noticed, uh, I stopped thinking about you. I, I, I don't think of you as an atheist podcaster. I think of you as a, a skeptic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's funny because I think the word skeptic can s- sometimes have a negative connotation too, but nowhere near as bad or as uh, stigmatized as atheist um well yeah i can i can i can attest that uh, very uh personally because um when i was doing c-web sunday school podcast i didn't talk about it with my wife because of the content Mm -hmm. um and she knew i did it uh she didn't she didn't know the extent to the of of the content because she never listened to it but as soon as i switched over to the, the paranormal podcast um i we talk about it all the time you know, I, I tell her about my future plans for it, the the, the stuff that I'm doing to promote it, uh, the content of it, uh, everything. Uh, and, and you're right, you, you, being being labeled, it's sad being labeled as an atheist. It, it it's it's still a dirty word. Absolutely. Uh, being a skeptic, uh, you know, you kind of have to pre-qualify it by I'm not. You're like a, a party pooper, but you're not an all-out. Right. I'm not. I'm not like. Monster. I'm not insane. Yeah. I don't think 9/11 <laughs> was. You know. Thermite paint, as Jesse Ventura would say, but you, you know, know you, like people who believe in ghosts might think, like, oh, you just, you know, you want to pee on everyone's parade or whatever. Boo, you're being mean, boohoo, you know. But you're not this godless monster right. that you know people. These people have absolute have an absolutely volatile, visceral reaction to the, even the word atheist. You know. Um, well, I also think too, like. Um, I, I I mused on it in, in a recent episode. Uh, it may have been the um, Jesus Mask episode, but you know you build a reputation as a skeptic, right? You may be like, "Oh, okay, here comes Chris again. He's going to say something about this not being real or that not being true, or the studies show this or the science says this." But when push comes to shove, if someone has a question about something that they don't quite feel right, nine times out of the out of 10, 
I'm the person they come to. My wife, uh, she has a, a neurological disorder that she has to deal with on a, on a daily basis. And, oh, wow. there, and when you deal with any kind of disease, right, there's mm-hmm. all kind of quack treatments out there. Homothe- uh, homeothera- homotherapy. That's what the Republicans <laughs> yeah. uh, want. Um, <laughs> homeopathy. Homeopathy. Ho- oh, what the hell is wrong with me? Uh, hey, it's all right. Uh, What's the uh, one with the water where they put? Uh, that's like homeopathy. A, yeah, it's homeopathy. Where they put like an ex- It's almost like the idea of immunotherapy. Like I just stopped getting allergy shots. Where they inject you with what you're allergic to. Except they do it in water. And it's such small parts well, yeah, it's, or whatever. It's, there's no way it could be doing anything scientifically. Yeah, it's homeopathy. Mm-hmm. And, and what, it, what the homeopathy is, is they dilute whatever uh, component or compound that creates an effect to a point where it's indistinguishable between water and its original um, compound. Right. So the, the, the analysis or the, the metaphor I always hear is like it's like dropping an aspirin into the ocean. <laughs> not you know, much it, is going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. Unless it's like a random hermit crab that well, the aspirin can, yeah, lands I on. Mean, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, that, but, but situations like that, they're, they're just widespread with um, quack treatments, you know, naturopathy, take this herb, do this, you know, essential oil, this, that, and the other. And every time something comes up that says, and her group, uh, she has a Facebook group she's a part of this, oh, I use this, this, this. And it, and it, it cured me of this, this. She says, you know, wh- wh- what do you think of this is? Or do you think this is true? Because she knows that I'll give it an honest look. I'll look at the evidence and I'll look at the science behind it. Uh, you know, I go to PubMed. I do, I do uh, research papers, uh, searches on it. And I'll read what the best science says and interpret it as best as I can. But she still trusts me because I built that reputation of Chris is going to give it a skeptical look. And he's going to tell mm-hmm. me that it's bullshit. Or that it will work. Yeah, which is better than telling someone, oh, yeah, maybe this will work. Take it, you know, and uh, and what if it does nothing? And in that time, the person could have been taking an actual beneficial uh, remedy or, or medication or something. Or what if even worse, it, it's some kind of natural thing that has adverse side effects or something like that. Or it's contraindicated, you know? Well, yeah, even when you go to a doctor's appointment, they got to say, what? medication or supplements are you taking because if you're taking ginger root or um, ginseng ginkgo biloba whatever it is yeah even though you know it's it's uh it's a natural quote-unquote natural herb it still has maybe has some medical properties to it and it could interfere with the actual Mm -hmm. medicine you take so they have to know because it could create side effects and so with with her and going back to what i was saying is you you build a reputation no matter how annoying you are Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you're if you're consistent and cognizant of your reputation, people will end up respecting it. I think that's true. It's like with the amazing Randy, like people who like to believe in weird things might resent him for trying to pop the bubble of their suspension of disbelief. But if they want to know if something was true or not, <laughs> he'd be the kind of guy you want to go to. And, and I was thinking like another reason why skeptics, why the, the term skeptic might not be as loaded as the label atheist might be that even though there's a lot of overlap, technically speaking, you could be a religious person and be a skeptic. You would have to compartmentalize to some degree. 
but let's say like a priest who investigates exorcisms or cases of demonic possession rather for the Vatican or something. And right. he has this mindset that actual possession is very rare and he's going to assume that there's some kind of worldly or medical explanation, some kind of uh, psychopathology or, or some kind of neurological thing going on. He might have to compartmentalize and he believes in these strange supernatural things in certain areas, but he might be a practicing skeptic right. when he investigates those cases. Or I imagine you could have say a Christian that thinks it's wrong to mess around with the occult or something like that. So he debunks the occult or, or right. something like that. You know what I mean? Well, I think um, skepticism crosses boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. You know, atheism is pretty cut and dry. You don't, don't believe, believe in a higher power. In yeah. a higher power, right? There's, yeah. there's no gray area. But I think skepticism, it does cross... Um, boundaries and, and in the paranormal community, you see that a lot. There, there are skeptics who are atheists. There are skeptics who are Christians. There are skeptics who are Wiccans. Uh, it, it runs no, the that's gamut. Wild. <laughs> well, it, yeah. Well, it, it but it's true, um, mm -hmm. especially with the paranormal. Um, you, you you can have uh, atheists who believe in the paranormal, right? That's the, actually true too. Like some of the stuff. Uh, Sam Harris doesn't speak a lot about it. But we've pro all of us atheists who are Sam Harris fans have probably heard him mention in passing um, how he sounds like he puts a certain amount of credulity in certain paranormal phenomena like uh, telekinesis or whatever the heck it is, remote viewing or something like that. But well, I mean, yeah, uh, if there's a scientific mechanism behind it, um, that's the thing I like to point out in my shows because. Uh, the one thing about ghost hunters in particular is that they automatically assume what they know about ghosts is true. So they assume, uh, you know, they're, they're this energy, right? And then when you <laughs> die, your energy gets released. And, Whatever that is, right? Right, exactly. So, so they automatically assume that's true. So when they use their EMF meter and they detect an EMF in an area, they assume it's a ghost. But they never established why a ghost will leave energy trails or why a ghost would suck the energy from your battery of your camera. They, they, they never established that. And that's what I try to point out is you, you can't assume things unless you establish, you know, the, the proceeding before it, but they, that's what they do. They go into it with an automatic assumption. Confirmation bias, man. You can't be doing that. No, oh, confirmation bias is, is rampant in the paranormal. Um, it, it's so, once you know what you're looking for, it's so obvious to spot. It, it's almost not. It's almost not fun because <laughs> it's so easy. <laughs> now, is the, the, are uh, the EVPs a big uh, example of that? The electronic voice uh, phenomenon? phenomenon. Yeah, where they kind of uh, what's the word? They kind of precondition you. They 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 usually tell you what you're gonna hear before they play the tape, then you have this kind of audio pareidolia thing going on. You know what I mean? That's exactly what it is because um, it is pareidolia. We're pattern-seeking creatures, and we try to make patterns out of nothing. Um, and EVPs are, are no exception to that rule because it's random noise that your brain tries to make sense of. And if you're already preconditioned to look or hear something, um, you're going to hear something, and it's just – by, by coincidence that 
what they hear is what they were looking for. You know, how do yeah. they know that this was a female voice who was telling you to get out after you were challenging them to something? Because that's what you expected to hear, and then that's what you heard. I think I, I was listening to your show not long ago, and, and uh, I usually kind of binge listen <laughs> to your show. If <laughs> I, you know, if I miss, for some, you know, sometimes you fall out of the habit with certain podcasts and you want to catch up. So I might listen to like three episodes of yours at the, the same time to make sure I get all caught up. So I'm not sure which one it was. But this family moved into, it's basically like the same story every time. This family moved into a house and they think they're not alone. They thought there were little kids, the ghosts of kids in the house with them. And the ghost hunter said it sounded like they were saying they don't want us or something like that. Mm -hmm. I forget which episode that was. That was the most recent one with the ghost hunters, the pilot episode of ghost hunters. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because you did the kind of history of uh, ghost hunters. I think you talked about how as the show went on, it kind of became more and more sensational. And when it Mm -hmm. started out, they were actually more kind of (laughs) measured in their approach to it. Skeptical, using that term lightly. Well, yeah, because they said in that episode in particular, can you hear me okay still? Yeah, fine. Okay. In that episode in particular, um, they were saying, you you know, they don't want us. And the setup to that was, this was an older house, um, and, and they had these air ducts in the wall. Um, they're probably about a you know a six by six hole in the wall where it would pump the air through oh, okay. uh, to other rooms, and you can hear a pin drop in another room, and it would just echo through that vent. And they were testing it. Uh, Grant and Jason were testing it. I said, "Yeah, let's check this vent out because she could be hearing stuff from that." I'm like. Wow, that's a skeptical moment. Congratulations, guys. You know, <laughs> golf clap. And so they, they tested it. They had Jason stand on one floor, Grant on the other floor, and he would he would whisper and they would hear it. He would hear it. Um, Grant would hear it through his ear, and then the camera would pick it up. And what they did next is they let's put a voice recorder right there. <laughs> All right. So so my first thought was, okay, maybe they're gonna put a voice recorder right there and they say, Okay, we hear this, we know it's the vent. Right. So we can rule that out as a possible EVP or a ghost. Quite the opposite. They actually <laughs> used what they heard through the, the vent as evidence for a ghost, even though just based on the clarity and the sound alone, you can tell that it came from somewhere else in the house through that vent. And it sounded just like the little girl in that house. I was going to say the family had kids, right? She, or- she had a, a three-year-old little girl, Okay. Mm-hmm. And I have a four-year-old. My youngest daughter is four. And the conversations she has with herself on a daily basis <laughs> is absolutely amazing to watch because she's playing three or four different characters in her head. She's walking through the house. She's playing Frozen. She's playing uh, Teen Titans Go. She's playing any any number of shows all at once. She's different characters all the time, all all every day. Not once do I think she's talking to ghosts. She's right. just, that's what children do. Mm-hmm. And not once did they question the child um, as far as this is what a normal three-year-old does. That's a good point. Because even if, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, let's say, no. for the sake of our, <laughs> say for the sake of argument, the voice did say they don't want us. How do you know it's not the girl talking to her doll or acting out you know, yeah. a scene in her head or something? Exactly. That's the problem with these shows, too. They don't take the time to rule things out. Mm-hmm. 
you know, they, they may say, you know, we didn't catch anything, but when they do catch something, it's automatic evidence, but they never take the time to rule out what they caught. So this one in particular, I, I posited in the, in the episode, I was like, when you're showing the, letting the, the homeowner hear the, the EVP and the little girl is standing right next to you, take her into another room, have her talk into the recorder and then compare the audio. Yeah, it's even it's kind of like um, when the police are investigating a crime and they have suspects re- repeat a phrase or something like that. You know what I mean? But I think it's because, like we're talking about confirmation bias, and the ghost hunters themselves uh, have this kind of uh, suspension of disbelief going on. It's mm-hmm. like that's what's kind of cringe-inducing about it. It's like watching a bunch of adults act like children, in a way. Well, I don't. I don't. It's almost as if. They, well, they already know what they want to believe. Right. Because in, in that first pilot episode of Ghost Hunters, right, uh, in the very beginning when they were doing the background on the, on the two guys, Jason said um, he's looking for evidence to prove to skeptics that ghosts exist. <laughs> How blatant right. is that? He already knows what he wants to know. He knows the conclusion that exactly. he's looking for, right? So automatically you're like, you're full of crap. Because you're not out to do this honestly, you're you're out to prove your point. That's not how science works. So if you use the term science or scientific method, you're lying because mm-hmm. you're not doing it. It's obviously pseudoscience, and they're not actually employing the uh, scientific method, right? Because if they were, um, they would rule out a lot of their their stuff as just crap. So uh, during my research of paranormal there's actually paranormal investigators who investigate the paranormal scientifically um and lo and behold they haven't found evidence for the paranormal yet surprise surprise when you apply stringent measures to the paranormal and testing controls and controls to the environment the paranormal doesn't exist uh joe nickel Mm -hmm. and um benjamin radford uh are are two of the most well-known paranormal investigators scientific paranormal investigators they, they've written books i'm feverishly reading all their books on on their investigations and their case studies um, and they do it from a scientific point of view and it works but there's they haven't found any evidence for the paranormal yet well it's funny um because i have this weird kind of uh connection or, or affinity or something for the uh the Shroud of Turin. I don't believe, obviously, I'm an atheist. I like to call myself an agnostic atheist if I'm pushed into a corner. You know, that's the best description of me. And most atheists, whether they know it or not, are probably agnostic atheists. One's a belief claim, one's a knowledge claim. Right. You know? um, but what the heck is I going to say? But, uh, and I can remember. I've been wrestling when I, I've been kind of wrestling with the loss of God for a, a long time. Not now. Now I've come to a conclusion. But right. when I was younger, you know, because I was raised Catholic, I was raised with all these kind of superstitious beliefs. And from a young age, I could feel my beliefs slipping away from me, and I was questioning things. It caused a lot of angst and whatnot in my life. And I can remember being a kid and kind of hoping beyond hope that someone would prove the Shroud of Turin to be real. Then as I got older, it kind of reversed. It's like, yeah, I've gotten used to the idea that the just not might be a god. 
oh, don't prove that thing real now because now I have to change my view again. <laughs> but, you know, I'm kind of half choking. I do have that kind of reaction, but I still right. keep my mind open. If someone proved it real, I wouldn't say no just because I didn't want it to be real. But I'm still fascinated by it. And Joe Nichols done a lot of research uh, regarding the Shroud of Turin. Mm-hmm. And I I talked, I did a couple of episodes on the Shroud of Turin and I uh, actually discuss Joe Nickel, and I'm trying to think if he's the one who came up with the idea of uh, how it might have been a shallow bar relief. Because the Shroud, I don't know how familiar you are with the uh, Shroud of Turin. Are you familiar with it? Or I mean, I know what it is, um, but I'm not too up on the history of it. Just what I heard from you and other people talk about it. Yeah, so it's basically like a rectangular cloth with the image of the front of a man's body. And it has all the classic signs of, uh, or it fits with the classic tale of the, the scourging and the crucifixion. There's all sorts of little lacerations, nail holes, uh, marks from a crown of thorns or whatever. Yeah. And um, if you unfold it, then you see the back of the figure as well. And what's kind of cool about it is that it never seems to be completely written off as a forgery because whenever one scientist says why it's fake, another scientist will come up with a a counter argument that you can't completely dismiss. Um, Well, see, see, let me speak to that real quick. Um, So there's two different things between it's fake and that it's it's quote unquote real, meaning that yeah, it's really old and something created it, right. but doesn't mean it's really Jesus' silhouette or whatever. Well, that's the thing with it. It so the the story where it kind of gained uh, momentum in a way, and, and it goes back to most likely it is a medieval forgery. I'll just say that. But uh, the story of it kind of begins oddly enough in the ninth in the nineteenth century where this Italian photographer, I think it's Secundo Pia, something like that, took a picture of it. And when he saw the negative, he uh, pretty much uh, shit a brick, metaphorically speaking. I'm going all out. I have a couple of ciders in me. I'm swearing. You're going to have to put explicit label on this one. Exactly. And and the the shroud itself has kind of like an ochre or sepia-colored image, and the, the image looks rather faint. But when you take a picture of it, it looks like a photographic negative and it's Mm -hmm. chock full of information and detail. So that made people believe that caught the world's attention. And then they did uh, like carbon dating tests and samples and whatnot. And the carbon dating put it back to the Middle Ages, roughly in between like the 1300s, the 1500s or something like that. And so people were like... End of this. It's yeah, fake this people. Right? Yeah, and then people on the scientists on the other side started saying that the sample could have been taken from a part of the uh, cloth that had been repaired or that had yeah. been smoke damaged. And some members of the Shroud of Turin Research Project, which were um, this team of legitimate scientists back in the seventies that are allowed to research it, actually agree with that. Um, but my big thing, my personal thing, and I haven't heard any, I don't think I've really heard anyone else speak to this, but some scientists out there probably has, is that the shroud looks like the perfect outline of a person, you know, perfect proportions. But if this was a, 
a, a cloth that was wrapped around the body of Jesus. And as believers think, it was created when some energy was, re- there we go again, energy. energy, there it is. Some energy was released during the resurrection, which left an imprint of Jesus' body. Why would there only be a perfect outline of the front of the body and the back of the body? If the energy radiated out, shouldn't it left an image of the side of the body too? So when you unfolded the cloth, the body would look Gross, grossly distorted because you'd be looking at the sides of the arms and the side of the sides of the head kind of folded out. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, and, and obviously, as an atheist, there's other reasons why I doubt its validity. <laughs> but I think that's a pretty big one that a lot of people, including scientists, overlook. If it's supposedly divine energy that left this impression on it, why don't we see a distorted image? Because it, it, it would have wrapped the whole... Body, and I think Joe Nichols said it could have been created by laying a cloth over a bas relief, you know, just like a, a very shallow statue. Right. So, and then either basically baking it or rubbing the image on it so that you would see this brownish image. Um, and because the bas relief was so shallow, you wouldn't end up with a grossly distorted image when you took it off the statue or whatever. You know what I mean? You know, I'm looking at the picture right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and what really uh, raises my skeptical flag is why can't you see the hair in the beard? Uh, why can't you see the hair no, in the beard? No, why can you? Because you can clearly make out oh. The, what looks like the European white Jesus with right. the long hair and the beard. Jim Caviezel, maybe, from yeah, uh, The if, Passion if of the If Jesus was a real person, and mm-hmm. I'm skeptical of his existence, yeah. he would not be a white European. Right. He'd be and, a first century Jew. Exactly. He would be Middle Eastern. Um, he would have darker skin, shorter uh, cropped hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he would have a, a more rounded face. Um, than what's in this picture. This picture looks like a statue of what Europeans, white Europeans think Jesus looked like. Because you could clearly see the outline of hair. You can clearly see eyes. You can see the bridge of the nose. You can see his beard. If you compare that to to um, contemporary pictures of Jesus, I guarantee you it will look the same. So that right there is a dead giveaway. And the fact that the Catholic Church, which is a European, white European belief, um, system mm-hmm. is touting this as proof of their savior uh, should be <laughs> enough for any skeptic to say it's completely bullshit. Well, I th- I'm trying to think about, I-, I don't know what the Catholic Church's stance is. I think they embrace the Shroud of Turin as a kind of beloved relic or icon, but I don't know if they've put their definitive stamp on it. Well, yeah, the Catholic Church is really uh, wishy-washy and things like that. Going back to our earlier conversation about exorcism, right? Right. They, they, they'll be skeptical 95% of the time, but, oh, that 5% is a real demon. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, right. I'm not really, um, I don't really take what they say as uh, as the gospel for uh, pun now, intended. This ties into, this kind of segues into something else I wanted to talk to you about. You weren't, I think maybe the 
one of the key differences between you and I might be that uh, you weren't raised religious, right? Were you kind of raised in a kind of, uh, even if your parents weren't doing it intentionally, kind of a secular atmosphere? Yeah, there wasn't really, um, the only time I remember going to any kind of church event was with an aunt. And uh, and ironically, the only thing I remember is getting eaten alive by giant black ants on a playground. <laughs> uh, so maybe that's where my atheism comes from. So maybe I'm just mad at ants. And not is that God. some kind of e- evil ritual? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was one of those weird. Uh, the I had those the snake uh, handlers. The handlers these, these are yeah. ant fighters. <laughs> oh man! To prove your faith, young person lay in this pile of black ants and the lord will protect you from that venom i forget where it is it's somewhere in i forget the exact uh chapter and verse but somewhere in the new testament talks about how you'll be able to pick up serpents and no deadly thing will be able to touch you or whatever technically the verse says you may drink no poison or venom that says nothing about snakes biting you so even they're doing it wrong the snake handlers and so many of them have dropped dead by now when they get the, the message is along no, the way faith wasn't strong enough come on now yeah, yeah that's right that's right keep doing it guys you weren't believing enough you weren't believing hard enough believe harder <laughs> oh man that's so crazy and i because uh i think i brought that question up because we were just talking about exorcism and i think i've mentioned before how uh it's funny even though i became a non-believer at a relatively young age even though i probably wasn't fully aware of terms like atheist and agnostic um Still, The Exorcist did such a number on me as a kid that even though I was well into my kind of unbelief, you know, in my 20s, I I probably had nightmares about The Exorcist at least like once a year up until the time I was like 27, as as embarrassing as that is. And I think part of it is just because of the uncanny and disturbing imagery and... and, uh, sound effects and stuff but i wonder if part of it was from having a catholic upbringing that kind of reinforced some of that supernatural stuff as well Well, maybe if someone like you saw it they might not be as uh bothered by it well i can tell you just anecdotally right um the movie stigmata oh i remember that with uh patricia arquette yeah i used to have a Uh, huge crush on her man (laughs) so it's 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 a catholic highway no I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you, but she's she's naked in Lost Highway. But go on. Hold on, let me Google. No, <laughs> Mr. Skin, is that what it is? Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm probably not doing very well with my female listeners right now, but go on. That's all right. Uh, but but it's it's a Catholic centric movie, right? Right. Uh, but it had an impact on me um, because yeah, I think what it is uh, because when you when you read the Bible, and, and I've read the Bible, um, you 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 don't have any reference point to what you're reading to put a visual on it. So you use kind of what you think it is or what you've seen in movies of what it would be like. Because when I read the Bible and they talk about, you know, the 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 slaughter of all these people, they talk about, you know, fire raining down and destroying cities. <laughs> I don't have any concept of that from my reality. So I would you know, pick things from like deep impact where I see asteroids hit right. the earth, right? And I think that's the same thing with movies and how it reinforces people's belief. And that's why I'm going to pick on Christians because that's what I'm most familiar with, why they, they rely so much on a visual medium to to reinforce their beliefs because it gives them that reference point. So when I see stigmata and I see, you know, she's having her, her hands 
um, bleeding and her feet bleeding and you know all this stuff going through that that supposedly what Christ went through um, it, and see it happening to a real person you know even though it's special effects it, it gives you a reference point and I think that's what Christians rely on a lot is that visual aspect of it well that yeah I think and that kind of ties back into we're talking about images of Christ <laughs> you know like uh, isn't it funny how Jesus kind of matches your ethnicity and even though you don't see it as much but you know um there are some rep- representations of uh, a black jesus or minorities from whatever uh ethnicity or whatever will sometimes have images of jesus that match right. yeah you know, that people want a savior that looks like them or at least has the same skin color unfortunately or whatever uh it's, it's kind of an ugly way of uh thinking well, you know, I- no, I, I mean I don't think it's really an ugly way of thinking. I think that's just I think that's just natural, and and we want to re- we want to find things we relate to that. that yeah, we that's have. true. That's true. You know, it, you know, Tupac is famously you know saying you know he's looking for his black Jesus, <laughs> chocolate he, Jesus baby. Right. You know, he wants his, he wants his savior for his for for who he is. You know, the white Jesus doesn't work. I want the black Jesus, the black Jesus who understands me, who who's lived as I have lived, and I don't I don't think that's. Uh, necessarily a bad thing. I, I think it's poor thinking, and it's it makes it's, sense in a way too because if you've been so marginalized that you look at the other group as the quote unquote other because they're suppressing you, and mm-hmm. you know that they don't even look at you as being fully human mm-hmm. because of just because the color of your skin, then you're not gonna want to think of your god as looking like the people from the out group who's oppressing you. Yeah. Which always baffles me about um, the 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 Christianity of of Black Americans, right? Like they were being uh, so oppressed and so brutalized. Why right. would you accept the belief system of your of masters, your oppressors? Right? Yeah. I, it might just. I wonder how many generations it took for that to kick in. It could be like a generational thing. Like people became more susceptible as the. Um, African beliefs kind of receded, you know, with the, the passing of generations. Yeah. I, I don't know. But yeah, it, it does make it's you a, think like you almost want to go back in time and shake them and like, don't. Yeah. Don't, don't you know? Their, yeah. Uh, Kool-Aid, man. It's it's almost like, um, you know, if I if I can put myself in that position and it's really hard for, for a white man to do that. And I've been, <laughs> right. Dear listeners, please. I. I, I'm trying to empathize. I thought you were. You're, you're not black. No, this, sorry, this I'm not. This interview is over. I thought I was talking to a black man. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> go on. <laughs> um, but but like it's almost going back to hope, right? If mm-hmm. if you're looking, you're in that position. Um, you're looking for something greater than yourself to grab onto, um, and and you, you maybe a two or three generations later, that's that's what you know. Um, because that's what was taught to you. Maybe your roots uh, from your continent, from Africa, are, are forgotten, or maybe it's blended with the belief system that you're in now. Like but voodoo, it's almost a, right? yeah. I mean, no one, no one can can look at someone like Martin Luther King Jr. right mm-hmm. and say his Christian uh, upbringing did not influence his social justice. Because if you listen to any speech he has ever given, oh, yeah, he uses his his Christian his Christianity as a a a point of reference for his social justice and for his his civil rights movement. If any, if you hear any atheist, the Exodus say that, story is, is yeah. a big resonates a lot with right. Um, 
Yeah. If you can't say Christianity influenced Martin Luther King and you deny that, there's something wrong with you. Exactly. It's it's so evident and so apparent in in any of his speeches. Um, So you got to think it's it's a hope thing Um, because what most Christians uh, and I'm theorizing here, what most Christians they want to they only want to believe the good things about their their faith. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to talk about the ugly, nasty things. And if you ever bring it up to them, they always come up with an excuse to go, oh, that was the Old Testament. Or, or that was an epistle that Jesus didn't say, or Jesus didn't say that. Because they only want to remember the good things. And I think maybe that, that culture, that those people found the good things in it. We're New Testament do. people. Yeah, exactly, right? All that. When the new, <laughs> but the new wait, the part is, about hating the gays in Leviticus, we'll keep that. We'll, we'll keep that, but but yeah, the new <laughs> it's new because the old one's old, and the new means new, so that means after the old because it's new. But then sometimes but, they'll play the if then if you try to uh, call them on their Old Testament beliefs, then they'll say, "Well, Jesus was completed the covenant," you, you know, and. Uh, Jesus said he came to not to abolish the law, but fulfill the law. So yeah. there's a lot of switcheroo going on there. But right. There's a lot of um, uh, cognitive uh, dissonance. Cognitive yeah. dissonance, exactly. And, and <laughs> that happens all the time in the paranormal community, too. But I, I the think. The aliens. I, yeah, I think it's a hope thing. That's, that's, that's my thing. I think it's something they've that community found. And I've, I've spoken to several black atheists. Um, I had a friend in social work school who, who she was a black atheist too. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we talked about this subject a lot. And, and even she, who's, she's heavily involved in social justice and, and in the history of the civil rights movement, that even to her, it, it's, it's hard for her to understand as well. Why African, well, I don't the know. Christianity of, of African Americans. Right, right. No, I've heard African American individuals on YouTube kind of railing against that too, and some of them take it to extremes. Of course, um, there's like, for lack of a better term, there's these black power kind of, or uh, I forget the word. It's black something. Uh, I don't know if it's black power. Uh, it's black mm. something, and uh, it's just absolutely crazy where they go to the extremes about how. Uh, um, they just rip apart Christianity, but they also embrace this kind of pseudo history. Where are they called Black Israelites? Something like that. No, he- Hebrew. What are they? I know. Which, I met one of these guys before. Oh, uh, they think that the ancient Hebrews were actually African, black or African, right? Um, but there's a famous black preacher, and he's a really right. hateful guy. That's on YouTube. And it's just unbelievable. I think the last video I saw of him, he was actually defending Hitler somehow. But it's just oh, absolutely okay. crazy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think but it's basically just like flipping racism on its head, like white people are the savages and yeah. black people are the enlightened and advanced super civilized ones or whatever. Right. Um, we're all out of Africa, baby. It's just uh, melanin it's, and uh, exactly. superficial changes, yeah, to the climate and things like that. Um, there was some, I, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I said, you know what I find fascinating about evolution? What? Is that there's more genetic diversity within Africa than outside of it. The, the, the genetic diversity just within the different sections of Africa, there's more of that than in the rest of the world. We're... 
And, and that just, it just fascinates me to no end. And, and that sounds like a stat I heard once that was similar, but it said something like, uh, there's more genetic difference between two members of the same family than between two ethnic groups or quote-unquote races. And I, I don't even like the, the term race, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just goes to show. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, but like... Uh, even evolution in and of itself is – I don't understand how that's a controversial topic amongst science, uh, scientific – It's uh, just a fairy – I'm I've never done this on the show before. I'm doing uh, Southern Why are you doing guy. Southern accents all of a sudden? <laughs> it's the theory of it's evolution. The theory. You know what the theory means, It would be Bill? a fact if it were real. <laughs> well, technically, you know, a theory is better than a fact. <laughs> Theories yeah, made don't up under- of facts. Yeah, but yeah, they don't. And in scientific parlance, not dealing with the vernacular, it's a, a hypothesis is the more loose one. You know, when you're just proposing an idea, and theory is when something's peer reviewed and it reaches scientific consensus. And uh, what a, a theory is probably shy of being a law. Or something like that. Yeah. Like sometimes p- people will talk about the germ theory of disease or the theory of gravity or whatever. Well, the law of gravity, but you get my point. Do you... um Germs ain't real. See, <laughs> they're just a tool <laughs> the of the theory. devil to get you to get vaccinated tiny with the reptilians. gay virus. <laughs> or you believe in the gay virus? The gay virus mutated and evolved. <laughs> so you believe in evolution? No, that's not what I said. Um, you find yourself like when you're talking to somebody and you say like when when normal people I say normal people would say oh I have a theory do you say oh I have a hypothesis no no, it's just a difference it's a semantics it's uh I do I do every time someone says I like I come up with an idea I don't say I have a theory say oh I have a hypothesis well that's actually pretty good you're actually uh trying to reinforce the actual scientific usage of the words, which right. can't fault you for that. That's not, If more people did that, there'd probably be less confusion eventually. It's know? my own little fight I'm battling. Your here. own little contribution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, yeah. There was something I was going to ask you about. Uh, I don't even know if you'll like the topic because... Uh, Gamergate? I'm not talking about it. <laughs> not Gamergate, uh, but I was going to say... <laughs> Not ga- not Gamergate precisely, but pretty damn close. I was gonna say what you think about this about the whole like atheist infighting in the MRA. I, I didn't even know MRAs existed till I uh, till like three months ago or something. Like the MR the men's rights movement versus the feminists. Uh, you don't have to talk about Gamergate. We don't even have to talk about this. But I, I just noticed that it seems to get your back up a bit when, whenever I, I I mention the topic. So I take it. Uh, yeah, the uh, so you know the men's rights activists. So there, there's actually a legitimate purpose for such a group, right? Um, take take uh, child custody, custody and, rights and, and stuff. Custody yeah. rights, right? There's actually a legitimate reason to have a group like this. The problem with the group is that they extend it beyond what it should be. Um, mm-hmm. they, they almost, it's almost conspiratorial where it's like there's this conspiracy amongst uh, feminists <laughs> to, to destroy masculinity when mm-hmm. it's further from the – it's the furthest thing from the truth. I think they say beta males or something. What, 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 did he, what, what was that one where it's like I don't even need women? It's like, dude, are you getting laid? Oh, dude. Yeah, there's something I never heard of before. I didn't know what the hell it was. It's uh, MGTOW. 
it stands for men going their own way or something like that. Yeah. And I'm have like, fun you, with you that. Take, you taking it to that extreme, man? Go ahead. Have fun with that because you're not procreating and there'll be less of you with each successive generation. That's so true. Ahead. You'll end up dying off. Have fun with that guy. It reminds me of like the Little Rascals or something like the He-Man Woman Haters Club <laughs> or something. There is almost like a childish mentality about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, I, I think it has... Um, a, a younger uh, demographic um, to it. There may be a few people who are older who are, are at the forefront of the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the problem is they take the focus off real issues. Um, it's almost like Alex Jones. You know who Alex Jones is, right? <laughs> you know about the FEMA camps there. Yeah, the, <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. I'll be dead by the time this airs, so we got to get this out. <laughs> so Alex Jones... Um, uh, is it, almost as if he sometimes 911 was an inside job. I got the papers right here. The government's coming for me. I'm going to take it from me. I don't know what to do. <laughs> All right, I'm going to send this out on a USB flash drive secure. I'll give you the password in a separate email. If you open it up, just make sure you open it up in a secure location. All right. <laughs> Bohemian, Bohemian, Bohemian Grove is real though, but I don't think it adds up to much. But it's it's creepy, but. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. All the rich so, so white he, people again, dress that, up in robes and do yeah, plays and stuff. That's but. that's my point, though. My point is, he actually touches on legitimate issues. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that he goes far and beyond what the implications are that people just joke and laugh and laugh it off. Right. Because he touches on legitimate issues that we need to be addressing as a society and as a country. Um, but the fact that it's so cartoonish. It's, it, it, it diminishes the impact and, it, and it, it trivializes the conversation. And that's the same thing with the MRAs. And it's, it's, there's real issues to focus on. And if we focus on those issues, we can have some agreement. But don't take it further than it needs to go. Well, it is kind of funny because you have people on uh, you know, the men's rights side who, can, who are supposedly atheists like uh, Thunderfoot. And uh, I mean, I like some of these guys. They do some pretty good uh, videos when they just cover, I want to say regular, to- but topics more geared towards the atheist community or whatever. Right. Like Thunderfoot or Sargon of Akkad or whatever. And then um, you have the kind of free thought blogs, uh, feminists who kind of get upset about all sorts of stuff. And it's like, I want to say to both sides, aren't you guys atheists? But neither side's talking about atheism. You're both complaining about gender. And it's like, why can't everyone get together and agree what's unfair and unjust for, you know, on both sides? Right. And, and try to acknowledge your shared humanity and, instead of this childish, like, my team versus your team stuff. Well, I think that that goes to, you know, atheism isn't a... Um, I hesitate to say this word, but it's it's not a, a philosophy. It's a statement right. of belief. Right. It's and a conclusion that's, in a way, at least for me. That's Right. It's, a, it's, it's yeah. not a philosophy. Like if, if you ask me, like, see, what, what's, what's your philosophy? I would say I'm a secular humanist. Right? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's what I would identify myself as. Politically, I would say, you know, I'm a progressive. Um, uh, as far as government-wise, I would say secular, you know, separation church and state. As far mm-hmm. as your values or morals go, I would say humanist. Um, yeah. Atheist is just to me is a statement of belief. Is that I don't believe in a higher power. Okay, that 
doesn't really define who I am. I, I'm, I have more aspects. It's and not so you, a creed. It's not like you go around right. every day, like thinking of yourself as an <laughs> going to the local atheist temple or whatever, a non-temple. Right. You know? Right. And 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 so you have you know different groups of atheists who have that one thing in common that binds them to a certain degree, but they have differing views on society and, and everything philosophy. else or whatever yeah. right. so even though yeah we're all atheists we're all hoo hoo against god whatever um but that leaves that a lot you, of room for a, a you have to be more opinion. than that right if you're mm. just an atheist you need more than that that's not gonna cut it you need to have something else and to some people it's extreme masculinity um and to some people it's it's extreme uh feminism mm. um either way it, atheism shouldn't define who you are. And that's kind of weird. That's at the point where um, where uh, gender or the defending of one's gender becomes almost like a religion. And I see this on both sides. And people just become obsessed with gender and they see everything through a lens of gender. And I think I tried to explain on a episode before about how, yeah, I'm a you know, a straight guy, if I'm walking down a street and I see attractive woman, it, you know, uh, obviously, um, your head's going to turn. Yeah. My head's going to turn or whatever, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to treat her with as much respect as I would treat every man. I'm going to recognize her common humanity. Exactly. Uh, she's not an object. Yeah, exactly. Um, what the heck was a, I was going to say something, but I, I think you might've made like a, made a light bulb go off in my head when, because you, your personal experience um, was that you just kind of got sick of focusing on the atheism angle, and mm-hmm. you kind of found like this new sense of relief or freedom being able to branch out and cover a more diverse uh, array of topics. Right. And I think, and and when you were talking about how you have to have more than atheism, it reminded me to of when I started this podcast, and I purposely made the tagline, you know, for atheists, agnostics, and ever, and whoever, and whoever. I almost said everyone, which isn't as <laughs> flippant or whatever. But, um, and I really mean that, and I've been sincere about it from day one. And I think one of the reasons why I keep discussing this stuff, and I haven't got tired of it yet, is because it touches on so many different things for me that I'm interested in. You know, whether it's ancient history, philosophy, news and politics, you know, I might be talking in almost in um, admiring sort of way uh, about some aspect of an- of ancient religion on one episode. Uh, maybe I'll talk about something like how monotheism evolved out of polytheism, and I'm not bashing monotheism. I'm just talking about it with a sense of fascination and academic wonder. And maybe the next week I'm talking about Pat Robertson or you know, the Republican candidates, Bible thumping. Mm. And uh, if God spoke to you, has God spoke to you yet? Presidential candidates. Yeah, that was, uh, oh, geez. When that was, uh, that was at the debates uh, on Fox News, the Republican debates. I didn't see that part personally, but it it was on real time with Bill Maher where I saw him bring that up. Hold on, hold on. I got a, I got a question for you. Okay. Okay. And every time you bring up Bill Maher, I, I think of this question for you. All right. Um, speaking of car- compartmentalization, how do you compartmentalize 
Bill Maher's political religious beliefs with his anti-science Oh, stance. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I have to admit, and this kind of caught me off guard or whatever, is when I think I heard Brian Dunning mm-hmm. talk about this. Because I think Brian Dunning, a long time ago, when he got kind of in trouble with Joe Rogan uh, because of the same list, he made a list of Hollywood celebrities that he thought were dangerous because they kind of promoted pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. And he put Joe Rogan on there, and he actually yep. very very like douche chill or uh inducing clash between him and uh <laughs> and joe rogan on an episode of joe yep. rogan's i should say douche chill but you know just awkward kind of painful to watch but i could i could so before you go on i can sympathize with his position because like him my shows are scripted mm-hmm. right uh i'm a better writer to in when expressing my thoughts than I am when I'm speaking them just ah, off the top of my head. I see where you're going. So like you, uh, and what I love about your show is a way you can just I'm have that conversation you, with baby. yourself. Yeah, you can have that conversation with yourself. <laughs> and and I can I can see you having that conversation. I can see the questions coming up and I can see you answering the questions without asking the question. Right. And and, and that's a skill. You know, take no bones about it. That that is a talent and a skill to do that, and, and I'm envious of people who can do that. But given Brian Dunning and the way his show is scripted, when he's put in a position with someone like Joe Rogan, who his job is to talk. He's a comedian. He knows how to think on his feet. He thinks mm-hmm. of, he he he's just that's what he does. Um, I can I can forgive Brian for not having the best fish showing. out of water. Yeah, fish exactly. Water. Yeah, I should be. Uh, I actually was just used a kind of bad choice of words. I don't mean that Dunning gave me the deuce chills because I didn't like him. I meant that I kind of felt that vicarious sense of embarrassment because he was a fish out of water when he went up against uh, Rogan. And he's actually really charming on his podcast. And like you said, you know, the episodes are scripted. And it was just like seeing a different side of him. Uh, seen him, like you said, go against, go up against someone who talks for a living, and he came off as kind of stiff or not as likable as he uh, usually is. But I think it was on that episode where he does a list of celebrities he thinks are promoting pseudoscience, and this is the first time I heard about it. He because. T- I didn't really watch Bill Maher back in the day when he did, like, um, what was the old show, Politically Incorrect, he did? Yeah, Politically Incorrect. Um, And I probably started watching Real Time with Bill Maher maybe, like, four years ago and stuff. And I think he's kind of, if not backpedaled, he's just learned not to talk as much about, like, what supposedly pharmaceuticals do to people or vaccines or things like that. Um but yeah, that was kind of a wake up call when I when I listened went back and listened to some old episodes of Skeptoid and heard Brian Dunning bring that up. And supposedly, yeah, Bill Maher does have a history of saying some anti vaxxer type of stuff and being kind of uh, very critical of the pharmaceutical industry. In, in which, in a way, I'm sure there are bad and greed driven aspects of the pharmaceutical 
industry, but at the same time as someone myself, you know, I take asthma drugs and right. uh, I take Prilosec for heartburn. Uh, as I've mentioned on a couple episodes recently, I've wrestled with things like depression and anxiety to mm -hmm. some degree over the years. And I take a tiny dose of an antidepressant every day. And uh, I mean, I guess he's probably not as bad as Scientology, <laughs> you know, or Scientology thinks that the drugs don't do anything and right. psychiatry is totally evil. And if you go back, it's really kind of pathetic, but I think L. Rod Hubbard originally wanted Scientology or Dianetics or whatever to be looked at as a branch of uh, psychiatry or something like that. And he got rejected by the psychiatric community and he kind of held this grudge against them. And that in part explains Scientology's antagonism to um the psych the the uh psychiatric industry but yeah but i actually do remember when i first started watching bill mars probably before i started the podcast and he would talk about with like with a lot of suspicion and disdain how people had to be wary about drugs and pharmaceuticals and stuff and i think it's just a matter of science like Certain, like antidepressants, most of them, like the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, elevate serotonin primarily and some other neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. And we know it's a feel-good chemical. It's also the chemical, that, chemical that's potentiated by taking MDMA, ecstasy, right. which I have done a lot. But uh, <laughs> back in the club days, at least. Full disclosure. The 90s. The 90s and the early 2000s were a wild time or whatever. <laughs> but uh, what the heck was I going to say? But so it just makes sense. You know, you, you have a deficiency, perhaps, of a certain chemical. You have a drug that elevates that chemical. All right, let's go. It makes sense that it would help you. Yeah, I think there's a problem with uh, drugs and with you know, legal drugs, in a sense, that a lot of them have, of course, side effects or adverse effects because we're still primates groping at the at the truth. You know, we're still experimenting. And But he... <sighs> Well, Bill I was going to say, like, say something like, we're still in the dark a little. We might discover a medication and know it, it helps or works in one part of the body. Well, it could be having adverse effects in another part of the body or in a way we don't totally know. But I still think medical science is so unbelievable and it's done so much for us. But um, I, I think you're right. If I don't know if he still holds those views, but if he does, how does he justify it or harmonize it with the healthy skepticism with which he approaches organized religion, right? Yeah, because um, it, it's that compartmentalization that we always speak about that believers do. With religious people. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, and it's so apparent in his behavior. Uh, the few times that I've watched his show... Um, he, he's had on, uh, anti-GMO people. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't like, um, was it Monsanto? Yeah. So up in your, up in your corn <laughs> was it the, uh, the Brian Dunning song he did? He did a rap song and they yeah, said oh, about Monsanto up in your, uh, corn rows or something. But anyway, go on. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, um, he, he'll, he'll quote science as, uh, evidence that there is no God, but, uh, dismiss that science when it says there's no um, adverse health effects to GMOs or that right. uh, surprise, surprise, vaccinations work. We don't yeah. have smallpox. Well, I, I get, I, I really get hot under the collar by the anti 
vaxxer stuff because it seems so selfish to me because basically what they're doing let's say like jenny mccarthy um her kid you know has autism or, or i think now she says he quote unquote had autism or something <laughs> so i don't know what's going on but yeah. at one point she was saying her kid had autism and she makes the correlation somewhere in her mind maybe she hears some crap some quack who proposes this anti-vaxxer stuff and she bites uh, hook, line, and sinker. Um, and then she goes around mindlessly um, regurgitating all that. But so she thinks that there's some correlation. And uh, then she's going to say, well, no one should be having vaccinations or whatever. You know, no one should be giving their kids vaccinations. Vaccinations are evil. And we know that vaccinations have beaten back some serious illnesses like polio, etc., that and we see even when there's a slight backslide that some of these disease diseases start to gain a foothold again mm-hmm. so you better be pretty damn sure that you know what you're talking about when you suggest that people don't get vaccinations when we are talking about diseases that could end up you know wiping out a certain percentage of civilization and and, and we're talking and probably children first in cases of polio and things like that you know well, the weakest among us, they don't right. take the time to realize the effect that they're having on the world around on them. other people. It's yeah. Like nar- narcissism, man. Right. They're so focused with um, their little being that th- they don't understand that there's people in this world who can't get vaccines because they're immunocompromised uh, or, or they're they're on a certain kind of medication that won't allow them to do it. Um, that the only reason they're protected from these horrible diseases, it's almost like vaccines are a victim of their success. You know, I, and yeah. I, and People I said, take them for granted. Exactly. Right? And I said this with, when I, when my two kids were born, it's almost like, um, doctors who deliver babies, they're, they're, they're a victim of their own success because we do it so well that only, in the extreme cases, do babies die giving when they're being born? Um, like the infant mortality rates of right. uh, less than a hundred years ago, or whatever, you know? Right. So, so it's almost like, you know, well, why do we have to give birth in a hospital? I can give birth while standing on my head underwater. That's per- yeah, that's perfectly <laughs> fine. Uh, but it's almost like they're a victim of their own success. Same thing as vaccines. Like they're so successful in what they do. That people think, well, we don't need them anymore. Well, it's kind of like, like I mentioned allergy medicines or whatever. It reminds me of me, like, like, uh, if you take an allergy medicine every day and you're like, I feel great. I can like tiptoe through the tulips and Naya sneeze. Then you go, I don't need this anymore. Then all of a sudden you're like, that's you. You Oh my God, why do I medicine? (laughs) Yes, I think it's like that with vaccines. But it is scary because haven't there been news stories over the last couple of years of certain um, serious illnesses that were a thing of yesterday? Measles, Measles, there you go, that uh, started getting a foothold again. Like you don't like people don't, they're so far removed from what measles can do that they don't think it's a, a risk. Or they don't think it's a danger that they they'll forego the measles vaccination. Now, it, me, I was speaking from experience with with my two children. It, when we when they were first born, the doctor came in and he had to have the vaccine confirmation, uh, the conversation, right? And and you and you can tell he was kind of hesitant around how to approach because he didn't know what type <laughs> of people we were. Right. And I said I said, doctor, I was like, do it. Give her whatever vaccine she needs. 
I'm all for it. He's like, really? I'm like, I was like, yep, just do it. He's like, oh, okay. Now, now our, our pediatrician was like, they, they won't accept any patient who will not accept vaccines. He's like, you are a patient of our, of our uh, doctor practice or of our practice. Your, your children are getting vaccines. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, he said they had to have the, the autism risk. I'm like, doctor, I'm like, I know a lot about this stuff. Uh, I, I fully accept the science behind it and the benefit of vaccines. You don't have to have this conversation. What with do they have even a percentage number they've put on that of like the chance of autism or whatever? They don't, they don't. Mm-hmm. But he, he says like, there's some people who say that there's a risk of autism. He said, well, the science doesn't show. I'm like, doctor, I know. I, I'm not that person. I, I fully trust in not only your skills as a doctor, but in the in the scientific method and in the science behind vaccines. Shoot my kids up. I, Line I them think up. It probably gives you peace of mind too, because you don't want your kid falling to some deadly illness, and you don't want to know that maybe your kids spread the illness because you didn't get them vaccinated. That might be an extreme scenario, but like we were just saying, things like measles making a comeback, you know? Well, yeah, it's, it, when you look at it from a health uh, a health point of view, right, as, a, as health as a society, um, I, I think I think society comes together to to for the overall health of, of its collective. Mm-hmm. Um, even though some people don't like to think of that, they think we're all individuals, right? You didn't build that type of thing. Um, but the only you reason didn't we build that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, from, from 2012, the presidential election where president Obama said, you didn't, build, you didn't that. build that. Yeah. You, you didn't, you didn't build That's the true. infrastructure that allows you to ship your the, product. Yeah. The big fat cats still have like, to use the public roads and everything else. Right. You yeah. didn't build, build the education system that trained your workforce. You didn't build the mm-hmm. government institution that backs your small business loan. My taxes you go belly paid up. You for didn't it. Build it's that. mine. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I think society as a whole, we're, we're, we need to come together for the well-being of each other. And when you, you're being selfish, if you don't vaccinate your kids, I guess that's what the point of this conversation is. I, I forgot where we went off the rails on this. <laughs> no, I, I think we did a pretty good job talking about it. Uh, uh to, to praise ourselves there. Allah. Uh, oh. Praise Allah. Right now, b- both yeah. you and I are both converting to Islam right That's now. That's right. Nation of Islam. Here I come. <laughs> and I, I was going to say, uh, did you, speaking of Brian Dunning, did you see that Brian Dunning replied to our little conversation about Skeptoid on Twitter recently? No. And I, I, I think he might hate you now. Well, that's a strong Uh-oh. word. That's very presumptuous of me. But remember how I said uh, I loved the Jesus mask episode? I said it was well-researched, and it reminded me of Skeptoid. And you said something about, but with more, more charisma. And then yeah. I made the D&D joke or whatever. Well, yeah. he said, uh, all of a sudden, Brian Dunning tweeted, a podcast can ask for no higher praise. And he did a little winky emoticon. And then I said, I sucked up to him. And I said, uh, hi, Brian, um, uh, big fan of Skeptoid, one of the first podcasts I, I ever listened to years later, still listening to it, blah, blah, blah. And he, you know, gave me some kind of pat on the head or something like that. And uh, yeah, so he saw it. And then um, a listener of the show asked me if I thought that was actually Brian Dunning or 
if it was a stand-in, and I'm not going to get into why it might be a stand-in, we all know that, but I noticed the most recent episode of Skeptoid, it's a listener feedback episode, and it's Brian Dunning. So, uh, he's actually out of jail now. Oh, there you go. I was trying uh, to tiptoe around it. Yeah, I don't know if you follow him on Facebook. No, not uh, on Facebook. Uh, but he said uh, something on Facebook where it's like, I, I was like, well, that was a thing. Like, you know, like he <laughs> just got out of like it was just a weird dream or something. Yeah, I think I think he's in the new uh, Straight Outta Compton movie, by the way. I was just gonna his, say, is he like gangsta now? Is he all with, like jailhouse his, tattoos uh, and yeah. stuff? Well, uh, with his uh, street cred now, white collar prison. Um, oh yeah, that's true, white collar prison. But uh, I think he, uh, yeah, I think he's out of prison. But I, I think it's it's it's, it's legitimately him because I. About three or four years ago, um, I, I sent him an email about uh, antibacterial soap. Um, people were saying that the antibacterial soap were um, getting into the water supply and causing males to be impotent. And I told him, um, I said, hey, maybe this might be a good skeptic topic. And he's like, yeah, that might be a good idea. Uh, so I threw an email. Oh, cool. So he responded, yeah. He did that with me too. He's actually, he, I don't know if he still is because email almost seems like it's becoming a thing of the past, at least for me. I do all my communicating through uh, social media usually. And, uh, but uh, when I emailed him like a few years ago, he emailed me back almost right away and he was really nice. And I suggested that he do an episode on the case of, I, I think it's Annalise or Annalisa Mitchell or, uh, it's usually the German or Austrian, but it was a case of demonic possession that had, well, not at, you know, we're skeptics or whatever, but uh, supposed demonic possession that happened roughly around the time The Exorcist came out, either a little before or a little after. And uh, this girl's parents were super religious, especially her mother. She was probably like in her early 20s. She had a history of epilepsy. And I think and a Catholic priest came and performed a series of exorcisms and she either rejected food or they starved her as part of the exorcism. And she basically looked like a human skeleton by the end, like a concentration camp victim. And it's pretty sad. There's some devastating images of her online that are really hard to look at. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's also some, re- even if you're an atheist, there's some really creepy audio. They have audio of the exorcisms online and it will blow your mind and send chills up your spine. Cause she's it's in German and she's like screaming and growling, like mm. not even human. And I sent him pictures and he was like, I just pictured his voice. He was like, yuck. And, uh, and but he ended up doing an episode on it. Yeah. I think I remember that one. Um, where he did that episode. So yeah, he posted on August, Third at ten fifty three a.m. He says, "Well, that was a thing. Back to work now." <laughs> so you uh, gotta so. own it, man. I mean, at this point, because I went through a thing when I first found out about all that. We're almost childishly. Um, well, I don't know if it's childish to feel this way, but it, it kind of like the way a kid would. You know, when you find out that your hero is human, all too human, or they're not exactly what you thought they were. Yeah, and and. Uh, And I also had to try to reconcile what a kind of champion for the truth he is and the work he does with Skeptoid and the not-so-truthful or honest stuff he had 
uh, the nature of that stuff right. that he'd gotten in trouble for. And I, I came down on the side that, you know, he's a fellow human being and whatever got him in trouble um, in his personal life or whatever, it doesn't change the message of Skeptoid or it doesn't change the informative nature of Skeptoid. And uh, I think Skeptoid's probably influenced a whole generation of podcasters, including you and me. And, uh, and, and I just couldn't stop. Li- it's a great podcast, man. I couldn't stop listening to it, you know? What, what yeah, no, I still listen to it, and I I enjoyed the guest spots really, um, with the, with the new episode. Uh, but I get your point. You know, I, I was a donator to the show, mm-hmm. uh, and and after his um, altercation, whatever you want to call it, uh, I, I stopped donating. Oh, you can donate uh, that to me now. Go to uh, Patreon dot <laughs> com <laughs> slash the, the weekend out. <laughs> oh my While God. you're there, head over to patreon.com slash PSA. <laughs> I forget what uh Brian Dunning says, something like uh he'll Make name this... he'll name these like recent artists and he always it's kind of adorably square. Like he always yeah. says so that Justin Bieber and Lady Gaga aren't the only ones benefiting. Yeah. You know, for the for the price of a Lady Gaga song, you can contribute the Skeptoid, whatever, whatever the hell it is. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that is an unbelievable show, though. I mean, it's just like it's f- like ten or fifteen minutes. Uh, I don't know how he fits all that information into such a short period of you time. Know, I, You've from, done from, it. You've I've done, done it, and, yeah. and just the the sheer amount of time to put into not only the research mm-hmm. but the recording, the editing. And the posting, and even just chopping it down to fit into a certain time frame, like that's that. You know, I'm gonna be candid here. The reason, one of the reasons why I stopped CY Sunday School was because it took you just a lot of money. CY Sunday School. C Web. That was the one before C Web. Yeah, that was that was test. That was a beta test. <laughs> but why don't stop? don't look that one up? Don't it's look, horrible. It's, it's horrible. <laughs> you had a sidekick. Um, yeah. Oh, it was. I, I had a. a a puppet sidekick. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was called Ahmed. They made a Ahmed. turban. It was just terrible. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Um, I'm on my third cider. I'm on my fourth IPA. Holy um, shit, I got to catch yeah, up. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the reason, one of the reasons why, because I'm not going to lie, it was hard to do. The research was so time-consuming. I had to read so much. You had to take so much information from different resources and make it into a coherent narrative. Um, and some of my episodes were 25, 30 minutes long. Like it, That took a ton of research, and I was just getting so burnt out doing it. And with the paranormal stuff, like the main episodes I do when I review a show, it, the material pretty much writes itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's there, there's nothing that I have to go out of my way to research uh, unless and you love those shows so much. You know, you have such an enthusiasm for the, the material, even though you're a skeptic. I can tell you, you, you know, you eat it up. You love watching those shows and dissecting them. So everything you need in a way is kind of in your head. You've done the analysis as you've watched the show and stuff, right? Yeah. So I you know, the process is I, I watched the show once without as if i'm just a casual viewer mm-hmm. um and so i get it so i can get an idea of of the narrative that they're trying to tell because every show 
you know, it tells a narrative. It has to tell a story based around something. Um, so I get the idea of what it is, and that way I can go back and look and look at all the different plot points throughout the show that lead or contribute to the narrative, and I can point them out when I actually do my analysis of it. Um, but but sometimes there's just like so much that uh, I can say and do, and in, in, in each clip I'm like, am I doing too much? Am I doing too many clips? Am I not doing enough? Um, but but in the end, you know, it, the material writes itself. Uh, when I do the PSA shorts, uh, when I do the bonus episodes for the members, um, it takes a little more research um, because I got to research a topic or I research a case study and I and I write it out. What kind of bonus? Uh, what kind of topics do you cover in the bonus shows? Oh, so um, the bonus shows, I I do uh, I'll do a case study of a paranormal event of a specific. A uh, place like oh, I, wow. I've done uh, a haunt, like some haunted houses before. Um, in the recent bonus episode, I actually did a complete another episode of episode two of Ghost Hunters. Uh, so it was almost like a, a whole another episode, like I normally release for the for the members only. They get an extra uh, bit of that. I do one a month for each member, or for each uh, for each month. So the members get an extra bonus episode each month. That's, and they also, I was gonna say that's pretty good. Yeah, you know, I'm not trying to be like your pitch man here or whatever but but i'm like <clears throat> you get podcasts for free and yeah. if there's a show that's offering free content and you really enjoy the content then you have to put forth a relative pittance you know to yeah. get more content extra content you know why why not and and if it's uh like the way you're describing it i think some people their idea of extra content is they'll shoot the shit about something stupid or whatever. You're actually researching uh, topics yeah. and adding like a, a full a, another full episode, right? So the so here so it, this is guess this is semi plug, but it, here's the process. And if there's any future podcasters out there listening, and and it showed some success, um, but uh, so I did the very first bonus episode I did. I released it to everybody. Because I'm saying this is what you will get when you become a member, mm -hmm. and it was on the Chemo Theater and and oh, I listened to that one. Yeah. yeah, so that so normally that would have been just for members only. So it's similar to that. So I'm saying this is what you get for a member, and then the very next one was on Pyramid Power, where the sh the pyramid shape um, gives you certain supernatural powers. It makes fruit stay healthy, and it makes <laughs> it, it it's this whole ridiculous thing. And, oh and, my god! And so you get a you get a bonus episode of that. And the most recent one was you get a whole episode of what my the normal podcasts are when I do a ghost hunting show, but it was part two of the Ghost Hunters uh, season, episode two of their first season. Um, so it continued where the, the first episode left off. And also, uh, since I release an episode every month on the first of the month, I finished recording and editing them way before then. Oh, okay. Right? So... Um, so and then I'll release it early to members only. Me members will get it as soon as it's posted. As soon as I upload it, members will get it. They don't have to wait till the first of the month. That is awesome. I, I did. Uh, I think the two bonus content things I've done through Patreon are uh, I did a history of uh, a brief history of Saint Patrick. Right. And uh, then I did, and I actually used my design skills to create some album art it started off as a regular episode but i kind of polished it up and uh created some album art and then just last week as promised i didn't want to make a liar out of myself so i made sure i did it um one of my favorite 
uh, horror authors is H.P. Lovecraft. He's, uh, I don't know how familiar you are, uh, for some reason, a lot of atheists tend to be H.P. Lovecraft fans. I think he might have been a non-believer. I don't know what term he used for himself. But he was a New England horror writer from like the, the early part of the 20th century. And he influenced people like Stephen King and a lot of other horror uh, writers and horry, uh, horry, <laughs> horror movie <laughs> makers. And uh, he's the one who created the the Cthulhu or Cthulhu mythos. You know, you hear people yep. joking about Cthulhu with all the tentacles and stuff. Yeah. And it's just amazing stuff. He's so intelligently written that it almost seems believable. There's almost a scientific quality to the horror. And uh, a lot of his works are in the public domain. So I took one of his short stories, The Tomb, to be specific, and it ended up being 24 minutes long when I was done. It probably took like two or three hours to edit because I wanted to get it perfect. I was was that was that the um, during the time where you were asking about how do you remove huh? breaths? Breaths, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was doing that at the time. And that's the one thing where I start to feel burnout. It's not the research, which I dig. Yeah. It's the uh, the editing. And I found myself doing this thing with the podcast where, uh, let's say I have an episode that's like an hour long. And I'll be cutting out breaths and getting rid of empty spaces. Mm -hmm. and it feels like I'm crawling. And I'll be like, I'm at the 12-minute mark. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, 48 minutes to go. And and I'll feel like I weeded out like 10 minutes of material, but it was really only like two minutes. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, when am I going to finish editing this thing? Yeah, I could tell you that when I do, um, when, when I edit and it shows me how long the clip is, right? I say, okay, say the clip is, you know, 15 minutes. And I'll go 30 minutes editing it. I'm like, come on, please go down at least like five minutes. So I only have like 10 minutes left instead of 15. And I'll drop to like yeah. 13 minutes. I'm like, damn it, I only edited out two minutes and 30 minutes? God. It's because visually a minute on the screen looks so large. It expands. It's like a, a yeah. third of your monitor. But it's it's actually, you know, it's only 60 seconds. You feel like you called out all this stuff and it's like a nightmare. Like it barely budged or whatever. Yeah, it's... it's it, the editing nightmare. That's I. I love the final product of what I produce. Like sometimes I do. I'm really hard on myself. Like I'll listen back to an episode through earphones as soon as I'm done to make sure it sounds all right, and I'll hear maybe like a breath here or this and that, and I'm like, oh damn it, you know. But I'm like, come on, you're being too much of a perfectionist. But I find if I let it sit and I go back to it, like I'll listen to older episodes I did. I, I listen to them like a listener would. Yeah. And I kind of enjoy them more. And I probably shouldn't be so tough on myself with like the breaths and stuff because uh, I actually wrapped up this morning. Last uh, Yesterday after I got home from work, I started listening to uh, – because I've been watching the, the NBC series Hannibal. So no, I went I back. Show. So fucking good. And I, I'm swearing like a drunken sailor. Man. <laughs> but you I, are. I, yeah, kinda. I uh, – so I listened to the entire Silence of the Lambs audiobook. I found it on YouTube. I start if anyone's interested, I made a public playlist called Audiobooks on the Weekend Out YouTube channel. And I have Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon, and Hannibal Rising in there. And the books are like over ten hours long. And I just finished listening this morning. 
and it was so riveting. But this guy was like in between every sentence. He's like, <gasps> he super oh, exaggerated yeah. inhales. I think it really is like an Edgar Allan Poe, uh, the telltale heart thing. I was just focusing on it too much and getting obsessed. You know what I mean? But other people probably aren't as hard on the material as you are yourself as the creator, you know? Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I, I I always feel like I can do do it better. Um, and I remember doing C-Web Sunday School, and I would listen to it, and I was like, I can't, I can't put that out. I got to re-record it. I, oh and wow! I would, the whole th- you would sometimes the, scrap whole, the whole thing. thing. I would scrap the whole thing and re-record. Like I remember the episode I did on Mormonism. I think it was like a. I remember fi- that. I think it was like a fifty-minute episode. I think I told you how much I liked that one. I said I was going to save it because it was so informative or whatever. Yeah, that that one was a long episode. I I probably recorded it three different times. Gee, now, what was it that made you want to re-record it? Uh, was it like breaths was it like did you trip over your tongue or did did just the final sound quality sound off or something the now the the sound quality was was on point because i always strove to have strive strove strive Uh, we're drunk tomato tomato (laughs) whatever (laughs) uh uh to have good sounding qual uh, audio um, because I, there are so many podcasts I would love to listen to, but the audio sounded like shit. I'm like, I can't listen to your podcast. It gives me a headache. But I love what you're saying that I would just like it's completely coming through an old transistor radio. Yeah, it's like, come on now, just invest in just a decent mic. And and uh, for um, all you listeners out there, make sure you position the mic in the right way. So you're I just got make a the joke right about direction. That. <laughs> After three years, I finally. <laughs> stumbled upon a, a stupid little cartoon from the manufacturer of a Yeti. A, a do and don't. Just a two-picture cartoon. One, the Yeti is holding the mic in the position that I've been holding in for the last three years, and in huge letters it says don't. Don't. Yeah. After three years, I learned that you're supposed to position it Yeti upright. says don't. Don't. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I remember this podcast in particular. I was I was rushing to record it because I put myself on this crazy schedule. I had to release an episode every two weeks. Jesus. Um, and, and why and am I, I saying like, Jesus for? I do one every week. I automatically this... I was automatically you see was taken aback by that. And I'm like I do one every week. Oh, you don't do the re well the research I have to do on it. The, the library and, is in my and, head, Clarice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need your petty research. <laughs> <laughs> you can, uh, so it's, so the, the the amount of research I had to do, uh, and I would rec- I would like rush to record it. I would record it all really quick, and it just it just I just didn't like how it sounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, since it was so long, I'd have to do it. Um, I try to do it all at once and try to speak for an hour at at once. Uh, my throat would get all scratchy and dry, and I just didn't sound. I'm pretty soon I was just like. And then Joseph Smith found the golden plates, and voila, Jesus came to America. <laughs> I was like, that, okay. That happened to me with the audiobook, which is funny because some of my episodes are over an hour long, and the audiobook was only 24 minutes. Well, now look who's bragging. But, <laughs> but, uh, but the funny thing is, you know, on my um, podcast, I usually talk in kind of a laid-back manner. Sometimes it's semi-scripted. Sometimes it's not scripted at all. But I found with the audiobook, I wanted to get 
every word perfect. Mm-hmm. So I like really enunciated and rounded off all my words and everything. And by the time I got like 19 minutes in, I could feel my throat tightening up. It actually reminded me of when uh, I'd practice with my band. And you know, like the guys just always used to love turning like the half stacks up to 10. And like my PA system couldn't like keep up with it. And I'm like, eh. You know, my voice is going on me halfway through practice. It kind of reminds me of that. But that reminds me, of, you have a background also with recording. And with you, I believe it was rap and stuff like that. Whereas, I, you know, I was singing with like a kind of alternative metal rock type of band or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, but it's funny, as the singer, when we went to the, into the studio to do demos and stuff, I was kind of like, yeah, just prop me up in front of the mic when it's time, <laughs> you know? So I didn't know that much about how to work a board or the ins and outs of recording. Yep. Uh, but I always got the, the feeling that you were a lot more savvy with that stuff. And I think it shows through in your show. Not only is the content um, meaningful and, and well-researched, but I've always been a little envious of the way... Uh, of the sound quality of your show and of the way you're able, the way you're able to kind of put like these kind of cool sounding beats in there and things like that. And and it just sounds really professional and polished. I can tell that, you know, your way around when it comes to uh, recording. So did some of your background as like a recording artist or someone who did rap and stuff like that help out with the podcasting? Yeah. I'd hesitate to call myself a recording artist. (laughs) Uh, um, But I think here's, here's what I think it is. Um, I'm good at, learning new things quickly right mm-hmm. and, and i'm the type of person is like if i if i want to learn something new i have to figure it out to its fullest extent or i cannot let it go i come obsessive with it wow right and as soon as i figure like if i'm trying to work on something and i'm trying to figure out a, a solution to a problem it, it could mean nothing to nobody but it's important to me like mm-hmm. I have to figure it out. I become obsessive. My wife is like, "What are you still doing that for?" I'm like, "I gotta figure it out. I don't know what's wrong." <laughs> uh, and, I like and, that with video games, but that doesn't get you anywhere in life. Exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I become I obsessive. I want more with bonus it. to unlock. I'm not leaving oh this room until I do. <laughs> Candy Crush is killing me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so so I I I become obsessive obsessive with it, and, and I'm good at uh, like just reading about it once and then picking it up and understanding it. Uh, and then when I do that, I can apply it to what I do. And, and I know what I like to hear, and I, what I like to hear is high-quality stuff. Mm-hmm. And if I can at least meet my standards, I know I'm going to exceed other people's standards. Um, and that's what I strive for. That's what I try to do within limits. Maybe it's a matter of dedication. Like, I haven't done... I know other people who've done the closet thing, where you turn your closet... Like you do, you turn your closet into a mini recording studio because is that you're knocking on the closet oh no you're right you're in a hotel room. i'm in a hotel it's, in miami I'm in my, i made the my, dexter joke earlier listen i'm i've been in miami almost three days zero pit bull sightings zero pit bulls yeah pit bull you know no, pit bull oh the singer the rapper yeah. mr 305 worldwide I'm Zero so white when it comes to rap. I, I'm just, he, he's like, not technically he's not rap, so that's not insult rap with Colin Pitbull rap. <laughs> the like the two, like if you look at my it used to be my iPod, now my iPhone or my Ooh. iPad. If you look at my music collection, it's so 
eclectic. It's crazy. It ranges from like classical and early music to like death metal and everything in between, except country with the exception of Johnny Cash. I like Johnny Cash because he's kind of a badass. And, uh, and I, I don't like rap with the exceptions of like, I used to listen to some Snoop Dogg way back when I was coming up. Uh, this, this is kind of showing my age in a way run DMC and LL Cool J I thought were pretty cool. And, uh, when we Cypress Hill, Cypress Hill is good. And uh, house of pain was all right. Yeah, yeah, they had some good some stuff. White boys, yeah, Beastie Boys. They have an awesome. Beastie song. Boys actually are awesome. Beastie Boys are awesome, and I felt like they were a band that got better the, the longer they were around, which is I agree pretty rare. Because in the beginning, it was kind of like the stuff was kind of on the nose and obvious. It was kind of like in your face, and and I think it's kind of like how early early hip hop is in general, like with the Run DMCs, the Grandmaster Flash. Um, I think a, a group that was ahead of its time was within an era was De La Soul. Um, oh yeah, they 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 were almost. I think now this is up for debate, but it's pretty well established. The golden age of hip hop was uh, the early to mid '90s. Um, that's when we ha- when you have some of the best artists creating music. Um, that was the the, the biggies, the well, Tupac's. Tupac's, yeah. Right, I mean, the Ice I was, Cubes. I was a little thing mm. when uh, when Run DMC and LL Cool J were big. But I can remember dragging around uh, like a boombox playing uh, Walk This Way by uh, Run DMC. Yeah. Uh, that was a fascinating see, anecdote, right? But <laughs> but that's like that's that was like formulaic rap, right? Mm. It, it was almost like da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, Da, 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 da. It was like you're just rhyming words, mm-hmm. um, and when you got into the '90s, uh, there there was almost like a, a a renaissance in rap where where they were they were rapping about a message. Uh, Tupac, uh, he he's my favorite artist uh, of all time. Oh um, wow! And I think because uh, his really early stuff w- was so politically charged um, that. It's almost sad in a way that you can listen from 1992 and hear what he was talking about, oh, and it like still the applies with the police. And, yeah, and it yeah. still applies to 2015. Um, it, it's almost sad that 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 holds true through that many years. I know a fact uh, about Tupac that most people don't know. Okay, he, maybe I might know it. You tell me. He was in a movie with Janet Jackson. <laughs> yeah I, obviously i'm kidding that's my only tupac fact that's all i and he uh, used to wear a backwards do-rag or something right the well, i hear i'll give you a fact his uh his real name is Lashawn parish crooks it's not tupac shakur i did not know it was, now did he is tupac shakur like a muslim name or what is that uh it's a it's an african name his mom okay. Uh, Afini Shakur was uh, heavy into the Black Power movement. Um, All right, and she actually had him while she was in prison because of she was uh, during some protest, um, and uh, she so that was almost like their political uh, ant- or revolutionary names. Wow! So he adopted that name. Um, it, I think it, it's Swahili for like uh, I think it's Swahili for like warrior. Uh, it's a Swahili name um, that he adopted. But yeah, LaShawn Parrish Crooks is his real name. 
Now, it's really interesting because, I, I mean, on a serious note, the feeling I always got when I, like, if I saw interviews with Tupac Shakur, things like that, even if I saw him acting or something, like, aside from his music, seemed like a really intelligent, just, like, good-natured, good-hearted, reflect, reflective, contemplative guy. But, now, what happened? Did he have trouble just getting away from, like, the violent culture he came up in? Because... I, I don't know exactly how he died, but he died in like a gang related shooting. Or yeah, something, right? he he wasn't. Um, so his his story is is he has a uh, uh, a performance art background. Um, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, he he's originally from the, the Baltimore D.C. area. Uh, he went to this uh, this this Baltimore uh, Theater of Art School um, uh, for for young kids who who were interested in that, and then they moved out to. Uh, California when he was uh, a teenager um, and uh, out in Oakland, California. And that's where he kind of establishes his hip hop roots. His first gig was a backup dancer for the group Digital Underground. Oh, I remember them. Is yeah. That the uh, the like Humpty. Is large, like yeah, Humpty Hump. Humpty Dance. Yeah, I remember yeah. the Humpty Hump. Yeah. He, he, yeah, he was a backup dancer for, for Digital Underground. His Holy first crap. song that he performed on was called Same Song by Digital Underground. And he was like 17 years old. Um, and then he just got his first two albums were were really politically like motivated like Tupacalypse Now. Um, <laughs> I remember that title actually. Yeah, it, it's it's a brilliant album, um, and it speaks to the time of that he grew up in and, and the culture that he grew up in. But eventually, he got involved with certain elements within that community uh, that led him to a more troubled path. Uh, troubled path. Wow. Uh, where he he was uh, he was arrested a few times um, for alleged sexual assault. Uh, he was uh, shot um, five times in New York City. That's how his beef with Biggie came about because he thought oh, Biggie had yeah. something to do with it. Uh, he he went to uh, went to prison again, and when he came out of prison, he signed with Death Row Records and Suge Knight. Um, his first album out of prison was Me Against the World. And then his second, his second one after was uh, "All Eyes on Me," the first double disc hip hop album ever, ever uh, created. And soon after that, he died in 1996, uh, September 13th, uh, because he was at a Mike Tyson fight. And after the Mike Tyson fight, he got into a fight with somebody who tried to snatch one of his chains. Right. And apparently, as the story goes, the person who did it was a crip. Uh, oh wow! And and when he was stopped at a red light. They shot up his car, shot him, uh, shot Suge Knight was shot. Uh, they took him to the hospital, and he died seven days later uh, in the hospital. He never woke up from a coma, um, and he and he and he died seven days later from his gunshot wounds. And there was some kind of some kind of Biggie connection or something, or it wasn't there? Well, well, see, the the when he was shot in New York, he was going to a studio to record because him and Biggie used to be friends back in the day. They were friends. Uh, they actually recorded some songs together. And the studio he was going to, um, Biggie was in. Uh, him and Puff Daddy were in there, and he got shot. It was it was most likely an attempted robbery, um, but he blamed it on Biggie. And from then on, they had beef um, because of that incident. But he survived the shot. He got shot five times. He survived. Now, but, I th I don't know if I heard you right, but were, are you kind of uh, were you kind of saying that he didn't really get caught up in the violence until? He kind of made it as a, yeah. a rapper. Yeah, that's crazy, man. That's yeah. crazy. 
Yeah, it wasn't until like, you know, going back to our very beginning of our conversation about time, right? He was 25 years old when he died, right? Wow. Oh, and he's, in my mind, he seems so much older because I, right. I was just a kid. Right. He was 25 years old. And, and, and to me, you know, today I just turned 34. I'm like, 25? Like, what, what would a 40-year-old Tupac look like today? You know, I, I was like, and, and, and how young he was. It was like the last two years of his life was when he just got caught up in that violence and, and led to his death. Um, was that last two years when he was like 23 years old. But in his music, you know, he, he was kind of prophesizing his own death in a way wow. where he's like, you know, I, would, I leave, would I live to see 23? You know, I'm going to die young, this, that, and the other. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. That kind of um, makes sense in a way. Cause, I mean, if given his relative youth, you know, even though he made it and you would think that, you know, he'd made it to this kind of upper tier of success or whatever, and maybe he wouldn't be touched by um, the kind of gang violence or things like right. that. But he was so young. I mean, he was basically still a kid. So there yeah. might have been a lot of like bravado and stuff right. still left. And he was, he was small. He was like five foot six. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, he was a little guy c- compared to contemporaries at the time. So, uh, and he got caught up. You know, in in that lifestyle, especially after coming out of prison, his his last time um, with Death Row, and Death Row was uh, Suge Knight. You know, he has ties to he's, oh, Suge Knight was a crip. He's, he's in the news. Just, I mean, yeah, he like ran over somebody. Yeah, that guy's always in the news for doing crazy yeah. shit. He, he so he was a crip, uh, so he had ties to different gang related things, and he just got caught up in that, which was unfortunate because he's. A, a brilliant artist but let me tie this back into to skepticism here okay because there is a connection um i was a 1996 so i was a sophomore in high school when tupac died oh wow and i was i was a guy who said he's not dead he faked his death i remember that rumor there was a rumor and um so 96 the internet was still kind of at its infancy but it was still there it wasn't at to where what it was. So in school, I would go to the library and I would, we, me and my buddy, we would search everything on Tupac. We would, we would analyze. We like, oh, the autopsy photo came out. Like, oh, the op- they don't do autopsies like that. They're, they're, you know, it's a fake body. <laughs> or uh, you know, like his his last album was um, Machiavelli, and it was called the Seven Day Theory, right? And he said, well, he died on he got shot on September sixth, and he died on September thirteenth. That's seven days. And on the cover of the album, he's crucified like Jesus. Oh, oh he so resurrected coming yeah, back. Yeah, he resurrected like Jesus. Right. And then we we would look for like um, uh, messages in his music, right? Even lyrics were like, you know, you heard rumor I died, murdered in cold blood, homicide. But that was lie. That was fiction. Some bastard got the story twisted. And we're like, oh, he's he telling us that he's faking his death. Uh, you know, in his music. And, and so I was a diehard believer, right? And my cousin, who's a, who's a, who's a pastor, ironically, um, uh, him and I always go back. He's, he's two months older than me. We'd always go back and forth about, you know, as like um, the seven-day theory, and we, we postulated seven years. So seven years from 96 was 2003. Mm-hmm. So it's like Tupac's coming back in 2003. Right, two thousand three <laughs> comes and goes. Tupac's not back. It's like the my rapture. He's sitting around waiting for it. Oh, yeah, it didn't like, happen. Uh, Redo God, the math. <laughs> hold on. He's like he's like uh, what was that guy? Um, that doomsday pastor. Uh, the old Miller? guy. That, no, the old guy. Uh, that the apocalypse was coming in two thousand twelve. 
Oh, God, what was his shit. name? He, he was a radio host. Ah, oh, shit. it wasn't like Pat Robertson or, no. or Graham or something like that, was it? No, um, it was a, it was an old dude, but he was like, but he but uh, to me it was like okay, 2003 coming out. Okay, he's coming back. Well, hold on, let me recalculate the math. Uh, yeah. 2005. Anyways, it, it comes and goes. It's ridiculous. And, and, and I made a bet with my aunt one time, my my cousin's mom. This is a running joke in my family about Tupac. And uh, she was like, if Tupac doesn't come back in 2003, are you going to believe in, I'll bet you you believe in Jesus. Like, if he doesn't come back, you got to believe in Jesus. I'm like, if he doesn't come back? Yeah, if he doesn't come back, you got to believe in Jesus. I'm like, okay, I'll make that bet. (laughs) But, you know, I I, obviously, at that time, I didn't believe in Jesus. But um, You know what's funny about uh, you and me is it's where we have uh, so much in common. I think we probably have different musical tastes. But it seems like the person that we admire the most musically, they both had like death rumors. Like you, it's Tupac. It sounds like you're saying Tupac is like your favorite artist of all time. Yep. And uh, for me, it's Jim Morrison of The Doors. Right. And he died when he was 27. And which is the thing, like I still look at Jim Morrison as like, uh, I say this figuratively, of course, but almost this like demigod like this almost divine like figure this timeless figure right and it's weird thinking that i'm older than him when, when he, he died lived, yeah and uh he wasn't in the heroin but supposedly he i mean the mainstream story is he died of a heroin overdose in uh paris france um and basically just died in the bathtub um and he's buried in a the poet's corner of it's like Pierre Lachaise cemetery or something in uh, France. And uh, people used to uh, have all sorts of theories about how Jim Morrison faked his own death. And uh, mm-hmm. in, in the song, LA woman, uh, it says Mr. Mojo rising over and over again. Yeah. And, and uh, Mr. Mojo rising is an anagram for Jim Morrison. And somehow people read that as like, Jim was going to create a new identity and he really wasn't dead. And, all shit. <laughs> and I don't think I ever really believed in that. And maybe in a sick, selfish way, I didn't want to believe in it because the yeah. story was more romantic or poignant that this poetic figure died young or something. You know, I, I would have preferred him alive, but I, I don't think I bought that he faked his own death or anything. Um, I was almost so devastated that I wanted to believe it. You know, I wanted to believe that he would he would make more music. And he was such a pro- prolific artist that he recorded so much music that they still release yeah, songs that he recorded. Yeah, right. but, but they're new. It's new content, right? Um, and... and uh, just recently, his mom is in charge of his estate. Oh yeah, um, that she she brought on uh, this record this um, production company that specializes in remastering um, un- previously unreleased music, and they're going to redo all his previously unreleased music and put it back out because they actually re- they they reached the end of what was would be new um, because uh, over the years they've released so many albums on his unreleased music. And I, I remember consuming, like, I would go to the swap meet in downtown San Diego, mm-hmm. and there would be people singing CDs, right, bootleg CDs. And like, oh, we got, we got Machiavelli 15, Machiavelli 9, Machiavelli 8, where there's it's all un, unreleased stuff, right? Jesus. I still, I still, it's the only music fi- files that I carry with me through all my computer migrations. Oh, so it, it, they weren't BS and they had real No, stuff. no, they were real. They were like demo reels. They were like, the quality was so... Sh- 
crappy, so shitty on him. Right. But you you can just tell because it, it wasn't his fi- final polished stuff that they, they would that produce. That is crazy. So release. it was actually studio stuff that it was kind of during the evolution of the album or whatever right yeah it was like tracks he didn't he didn't put in or they didn't do the final production on or you know like you know they do 15 12 to 15 tracks an album where you know he would record 20 25 songs and it would just be like a kind of like a basic beat that it wouldn't be completely polished it it wouldn't have and in some of his his videos he was like he, he was so like he would record so much. He was like, "Look, you come in here, you spit your verse. You let the producers put, you know, they put all the polish on it. And if you're not, re- if you don't have your verse ready, because he would record with the Outlaws. That was like his little group he made. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, if you don't have your verse ready, you're not getting on this track. And he would just, you know, he spit his verse in one take, and then the other guys would spit theirs, and and then that was it. And he would do another song, and then wow. the producers would come in. You know, the production guys who know how to do music would put everything together. Um, and he and he records so much crap, and they would have these bootleg DVD, CDs, and I would just consume them because I didn't want it to end. Um, knowing that he's dead and can't record anymore, I didn't want it to end. Well, actually, I feel that way about uh, sometimes. I mean, it hit me. I don't know if it hit me super hard because I was probably like a self-absorbed, <laughs> jaded kid or whatever. But I remember when Kurt Cobain died, and because I, I like you know, metal and rock and stuff like that. And people will probably hate me for this because Dave Grohl is like a modern uh, music icon. But whenever I hear the Foo Fighters, I'm like, ah, it's not Nirvana, man. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Ah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. It just sounds so polished and mainstream. What I loved about Nirvana, it was almost chilling how raw and visceral the music was. And you could almost hear like the the pain, the angst, and the borderline insanity in like mm-hmm. Kurt Cobain's voice. Now, do you just listen to rap, or do you like heavy stuff? And or what other do you like other types of music? Yeah, I like uh, so. Primarily, I grew up on West Coast gangster rap. Mm-hmm. A, a, a white kid from the outskirts of San Diego. <laughs> uh, I, I was that guy who had two twelve-inch subwoofers who would bump. The, the gangster of gangsterous rap. Um, it wasn't until I joined the army and met different people outside of my circle that I was uh, got into different music. Um, so I got into some uh, heavy metal, uh, some alternative stuff. Um, uh, I I I like the the mid '90s alternative stuff, like the the early Chili Pepper stuff. Um, yeah, like Soundgarden and Soundgarden. Stuff. Yeah, Pumpkins. But, yeah. Um, not a huge fan of Pumpkins. I I like some of their songs, but I uh, Billy Corgan. Uh, I, I I'm not really a big fan of his style. Well, my that's funny. Is my bassist always used to say that sound like he was trying to sing out of his range, like his voice was too whiny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you're not into it, it it, it can grain on you. Yeah, you know, I'm a I'm a Metallica fan. Yeah. I'm an Aussie fan. Um, Mr. so I, I, I yeah yeah I love that song. I love um, Ro- Rob Zombie. Crawley. You know, White Zombie. Yeah, I love ah oh, Rob Zombie's awesome. That's kind of what. I don't know. You, I think you heard my music. I sent the like the four demo yeah, you tracks. Me, yeah, to you, you sent before. me some stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like Corn meets Rob Zombie meets The Doors. Maybe it's <laughs> something like that. But yeah, I'm a huge Rob Zombie fan. I love Rob Zombie. Yeah, White if I had Zombie. to pick, pick, uh, uh, I don't know if you call them metal. I call them hard rock. I don't like like the 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 black metal, the screaming. I like 
I don't like that crap. I like mm-hmm. the stuff where there's actually some melody, and melody, some harmonization shit. going yeah. on. It's like where it's music, not just I got a sweet guitar riff and a drum line and I'm just screaming into the microphone. The, the uh, hardest band I probably listen to is there's a band called Morbid Angel that someone oh. turned me on to a long time ago. And I think they were influenced by classical music. So even though it's like frantic and frenetic, you can kind of hear some like complex stuff in there. And they sing about like Lovecraftian abominations and the Necronomicon and stuff. After that, it's probably uh, the hardest thing I listen to is like Slayer. And then um, I like mostly a lot of hard alternative stuff. back i'm back i actually uh what's that creaky ass door man i heard that all the way through my headphones into the bathroom did you hear that <laughs> yeah it's like a damn horror movie over there <laughs> <laughs> well it's in the room where i record and the funny thing it's like it probably is something at like buffalo bill's basement or something it has like uh the knob broke and there's like a, a little like nailing brad or something like sticking through so you go to grab the knob and you get stuck oh sweet it's like the Pat Robinson AIDS needle. Yeah, that's. I heard Anderson Cooper talking about that. How they they go to give you the secret handshake or whatever, and they prick yeah, you with boom. The AIDS Next needle. thing you know, full on, full blown AIDS. I think he refers to it as the AIDS too. Yes, yeah, I'll give you the AIDS. I hope you're gonna uh, edit this out. So you don't have to uh, post this right away because there's a lot. <laughs> it's like we've been talking for two and a half hours, so. I know, it's crazy. Um, Make sure you edit out the part where you got to take a piss. Well, that's funny because I was just thinking about that. I'm like, that would actually be a riot if I left it in. But Yeah, like, unbra, uncut. Uncut. <laughs> then we talk about each other's pisses when we get back, how, like, oh, how yeah. glorious they were. Oh, it felt so good. Uh, so much, it's so a very IP wide piss. stream, very uh, pure. Yeah. But uh, this, this gives us a chance to kind of cleanse the uh, palate. <laughs> Did you hear that? My creaky-ass chair. Creaky-ass <laughs> office chair. We've been expecting you. Yeah. <laughs> on in. Turn around with a little cat on my lap wearing, like, leather gloves and stuff. Stroking your dog. Yes. <laughs> yeah, precious. It puts the lotion in the basket. No, put the fucking lotion in the basket. It gets a hose again. <laughs> precious. <laughs> <laughs> You great big fat person. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that movie's awesome. And the lamb's still screaming, Clarice. <laughs> Silence the lambs, Clarice. He said, "I can smell you." <laughs> <laughs> I, for one, cannot. <laughs> I don't know uh, if I'll leave that in or not. No. Brashers. <laughs> Brashers. <laughs> buffalo. Uh, uh, buffalo. He, he skins his humps. Oh man, it's such an. <laughs> Precious! Darling! Don't you hurt my dog! Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me so hard. <laughs> Do you recognize the song? Yeah, yeah. 
that's how I got that on my iPod. Uh, I like a lot of like 80s new wave stuff and crap too. Like uh, stuff that probably make you roll, roll your eyes like Depeche Mode and The Cure and Joy Division and stuff. But I actually got that song because it was stuck in my head after the first time I saw uh, Silence of the Lambs. That was a riot. That's like a, a it's a funny as hell scene, but it's powerful too. When also he backs up, you know, from the camera and does the tuck. It's like he's yep. spreading big moth wings or something. Yeah, it's it feels awesome. powerful. <laughs> it it is a, a an awesome. It's a really good movie. Yeah, the audiobook was like over 10 hours long just because it, it's so in-depth. But it's it's kind of cool listening to it, though, because a lot of the uh, the uh, dialogue is directly from the book. I, you know what? I really can't get into audiobooks. Well, I'm just lazy instead. Like, I used to read all the time. I used to just consume, you know, paper books. Um, but now it's, you know what? It's weird. I think that, Reading online is kind of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, people get more information and from more diverse sources than they would in the past. But at the same time, there's less focus. So a lot of people, like me, I I used to read books from beginning to end. And now instead, I'm reading news articles all the time and little bits and, and, and opinion pieces and stuff like that. But uh, I always feel like I'm cheating when I listen to audiobooks for some reason. Maybe it's this deluded idea. Or who knows? Maybe there's some truth to it that actually reading the written word is somehow better for your brain than just listening. But I don't know. To me, it is. Um, I tried to do the uh, Game of Thrones audiobooks. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't read or listened to those yet. Uh, and I, I couldn't do it. It, it, was, it was moving even when I sped it up. Mm-hmm. It was too slow. Oh, well, I know you like to speed up your podcast. Oh, dude, I speed up everything. Is it just because you feel like it, it, that's your personal preference or you feel like you're kind of working against the clock and you have to? Working against the clock. Oh, okay. So because, I, I'll go ahead. Because um, I have so many uh, that I want to listen to. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't, I feel like I, I can't get. I won't get through them. And and again, it goes to my, I got to complete things. Like if I see my playlist, I'm like, oh, I'm falling behind on my playlist. I get anxiety. Like I got to finish my playlist. And and I I like to like when I travel, I love when I travel because I can just put my headphones on Mm -hmm. and I can just listen to podcasts. I, I, it's, I listen to music less often than I did before I found podcasts. I could see that. I listen to music primarily, uh, well, it's kind of a toss-up when I'm riding back and forth to work. It's either, uh, yeah, it's it's either music or podcasts, and then I'll work out for like a half hour to like 40 minutes or something, maybe a few times a week, and I'll listen to music. And the I think without music, I would probably give out like five minutes into a workout or something, but because the music transports you and inspires you and gets you kind of ramped up, you know, it lets me work out for a longer period of time or whatever. Even when I work out, I'm, um, I listen to podcasts. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, I would have, tr- I'd probably have trouble doing that cause I wouldn't feel as stoked or something. Uh, yeah. To me, it distracts me it, cause I don't do any cardio work. 
Uh-huh. I hate the army killed any motivation of running. <laughs> um, you feel like you're still there. Yeah, I, when people say I run for fun, I like I say you're crazy. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as running for fun. Is running mm-hmm. running is punishment. Don't make me do it. Oh man, I have asthma, so I'd probably like. I, I mean, I don't have obviously since I do like manual labor. I, I don't have asthma that's so bad i can't push myself to some degree but uh, i i doubt i could probably do that much uh running but no i i i i do weightlifting i'm not i just do weightlifting to maintain body mass to because here's why here's my motive here's my reason for doing weightlifting it's, it's such a nerdy reason to do it because i read as you get older it's harder to build muscle so you have to build it while you're young because when you get older, you're going to need it. Uh, that's actually not that nerdy, and it's actually actually a pretty good idea. Yeah, because I think there's something like your testosterone and your muscle mass dip like a certain percentage past a like, certain. Yeah, like at 50, you start to diminish. And so to me, it's like I got to I gotta maintain. What I'm, I'm not big by any stretch of the mat. I'm six foot three and 185 pounds. That's I not am, bad. I'm not a big guy. I didn't know you were six foot three. I'm, a, I'm afraid of you now. Yeah, I'm a tall. I can dunk on you, son. Watch out. <laughs> yeah, I'm only like somewhere between 5'10 and 5'11. And I, I but, always feel weird when I'm around really tall people. Like, I feel like I'm someone's pet. Like, I'm, I'm this little thing. <laughs> but I'm not. You know, I'm average. That's Right, average, yeah, you're, right, right, you're average. But, like, um, but to me, it's just like, that was the reason why I had to do it. I was like, I'm getting a little bit older now. Uh, I want when I get when I get older, I want to be able to be mobile, uh, and I want to not be like a withered old man. And because yeah. it's science, that's, that's what science said. So I'm doing it. Have you ever seen those pictures of like? There's this one doctor in particular, like his like male patent baldness and glasses, like this old dude. I'm talking like maybe late sixties or into well into his seventies or something. And he does like human growth hormone or something. And it looks so weird. It's like this guy who's just jacked like a a bodybuilder. Then you see like this old like accountant's head on his shoulders. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? It's kind of funny. I've thought uh, about that stuff like human growth hormone. I, I wonder. It seems like, I don't know, you hear conflicting opinions. Like supposedly people like Stallone and, and stuff do. I bet you it does preserve you to a certain degree, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a price you pay either. If there's just like processes in your body, which are running rampant and shouldn't be, you know, things it's doing to you or whatever, but. Or maybe you become dependent on it because ah, you, you synthesize bought, yeah. it and your body's like, oh, I don't have so to So if you ever anymore. stop, you're screwed. Yeah. You know, I don't think, um, you know, cause I watch uh, MMA. Uh, as the public, the layman would say, UFC. UFC. Um, and they're they're really cracking down on Ukrainian fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Ugandan fried Ugandan chicken. Ugandan fried chicken. Go on. <laughs> we guarantee none of our chickens are homosexual. You got to be kidding me! But uh, what, what were you saying? Um, they're really cracked down on on drug testing right on on um, performance enhancing drugs mm-hmm. and like it's almost like if you get caught you get uh, there's a two-year suspension for the first time you get caught you can't wow. fight for two years and that's pretty much a career ender depending on how old you are if you get caught a second time it's five years a third time it's a lifetime ban and they finally put all these testing they have a third party company that does it um people they test people all over the world and the first fight 
after the testing guidelines went in, the fighters you normally see, mm-hmm. you saw a drastic drop shift in size or something. In, in, or... Yeah, in body in uh, wow in body uh, size and shape, just a dramatic drop off. Like okay, well you know that guy was using something. Um, now what were they testing for? Was it like growth hormone and stuff, or was it yeah, steroids? Yeah, what they or... test for is is. Um, there's a certain level of testosterone you're supposed to have depending on your age and, and ah, your level of activity. And um, some fighters would get a uh, an exemption to do testosterone replacement therapy. Um, and the only time you really need that is if, if your A, your body doesn't produce it naturally, or B, you abuse steroids in the past. Oh, wow. So your body's kind of So your body can't whatever. produce it yeah. on its own, so you have to produce it. And they would look for... High, uh, elevated levels in your urine um, that weren't typical for someone of your age and and, and athletic uh, uh, ability or athletic uh, um, activity, and and if it's high or or even a low amount would signal a, a potential oh, wow. substance. Yeah, because you you if you take it, you have this high, you have this peak, 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 and when you get off it, it just it drops. And if it's below normal, you're like that's also a red flag as well. Wow. Now, um, is uh, no, is Joe Rogan still doing a lot of the announcing for that stuff or the the stuff? Oh yeah, he does or? all the all the main fights. Joe Rogan and and what do you think about Joe Rogan or not? He he's an he's so knowledgeable of the sport mm-hmm. that he's an awesome commentator. Well, he's I really like Joe Rogan, but I feel like um, there's some stuff I listen to for fun, and I realize I kind of have to to some degree, take my skeptic cap off a little bit if I'm going to enjoy it or whatever. But I don't know. I even feel bad saying that because Joe Rogan in the past has embraced some conspiracy stuff like um, moon landing stuff. And he's, uh, this doesn't mean anything. He's friends with, he's actually really friends with Alex Jones. It doesn't mean he believes what Alex Jones believes. But I think, uh, He's obviously a smart guy, deeply contemplative. You know, he's a critical thinker. But at the same time, he embraces some fringe stuff. And, uh, yeah, which I think in a way kind of makes him fun to listen to. Because you know you're probably going to agree with him on a lot of stuff. But he might kind of push the envelope a bit too and take into to a point where you're not really comfortable with or where you start to to wonder, you know, what's going on. It's hard to turn off that that skeptical part of you in in mm-hmm. in anything, um, and and you, the, you mentioned in Joe Rogan, it, it reminded me of something I wanted to say earlier that he the Brian Dunning interview uh, right. in particular, um, and, and what I noticed in ghost hunting shows too, especially the, the the new the older ghost hunting shows where Joe Rogan would be like, I'm not saying it's true. Right. But if they were but to it fake is it, no, this is right. what they would have done if they were to fake it. Right. I'm not. I'm just asking the questions. I think that's a it's a cop out. Well, right? I think that's a huge cop out, and I think out of anything I've heard, because Joe Rogan usually really is a very kind of reason based person, uh, but that moon landing stuff is inexcusable. If you hear him talking to Neil deGrasse Tyson, it's like. You're wondering if he just fell down through the rabbit hole or something. You know? Yeah, he shows his his uh, his ignorance. That's like uh, 
one of the things I like about Joe Rogan, it's one of the same things I like about Sam Harris. I like when really intelligent uh, people are into, I don't know, for, I'll say spiritual or for lack of a better word, or maybe mind expanding type of things. Like, I like how Sam Harris is one of the only atheists you ever hear talking about, quote, what are usually relegated otherwise to, quote unquote, spiritual uh, corners or, or whatever. Uh, things like meditation, sensory deprivation, mind expanding drugs and things like that. I could listen to people talk about that all day. I like when Sam Harris talks about that stuff. Right. I like when Joe Rogan talks about that stuff. And they've actually done a couple of episodes together where Sam Harris has been on. And uh, sometimes it's funny. Uh, Joe Rogan will have Graham Hancock on. I don't know if you remember Gran Graham Hancock from uh, some of those old like history or science channel documentaries about you know the hidden truth of atlantis and mm. aliens drawing dinosaurs on pyramids or i don't know what the hell you know the really crazy far out shit but like graham hancock's actually a fascinating guy and i love listening to him talk but i'm always wary when i hear him talk because he's embraced some really fringe kind of stuff in the past i don't have you ever seen that? Uh, you should do an episode on this. I don't know if Skeptoid ever has. Have you ever seen that? I don't know where the hell it is. If it's in Indonesia, Mal Malaysia, where it is, but it's or Cambodia, <laughs> but uh, it's in some place in the world. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> on this globe, it, it clearly shows an animal of some sort, and people try to say it's a Stegosaurus, and people try to use it as an argument. From everyone from alien enthusiasts to uh, young Earth creationists, use it as an argument that man walk, you know, lives side by side with dinosaurs, and it it does look kind of like a Stegosaurus, but it's not perfect, and it's anatomically off enough that I'm willing to bet that it is not a Stegosaurus. <laughs> also, since I think there's plenty of evidence that di dinosaurs far predate modern man, Homo sapiens, but uh. Yeah, it's pretty wild though. So yeah, Grim Hancock has also done hallucin uh, hallucinogens and stuff, which I don't know if has anything to do with his theories. I've done hallucinogens and I've ended up uh, an agnostic atheist. So <laughs> but, uh, that stuff's fascinating. <laughs> you turned out a bit all right. A kind of all right. <laughs> well, so I'm is, looking. Yeah. I'm looking at this Stegosaurus picture here. Oh, you found it. Yeah, I'm. I'm good at Google. Where it's is in it? It's Where in Cambodia. It? Oh. I, I, I guessed three times. You're, you were right bad. in the damn area. You I was were, right the third time. That's right. You were in the damn general vicinity of it. <laughs> um, yeah, it looks like a. Yeah, it looks like a. But maybe it, like the head's not small enough, the tail's not long enough, or something like it, that. It looks like a. Well, it has like the spikes on the back as like a you would, typical Stegosaurus. Uh, ironically, it's at Bible.ca. So I you know it's funny though that you bring up those those plates or whatever on the back. Um, that skeptics have pointed out that those so-called plates appear around because in other parts of that same temple or whatever have other animals that are recognizable as normal animals that are indigenous to that part of the world, and they have similar plate-like elements in the design around the animal. But those animals aren't dinosaurs, they're modern animals. 
and skeptics say that those are actually like stylized flower petals and shit like that. So that mm-hmm. animal might be something. It could be like an anteater or something stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I'm looking at it just as like I'm looking at it for the first time, yeah, I can see a stegosaurus there. Because yeah. I have it a reference. It does make you stop. Some things make you stop in your tracks. It doesn't mean there's a supernatural explanation or that it turns science on its head. Right, because I, I look at it and I see a stegosaurus. Okay, yeah, because that's why I think the stegosaurus. Pareidolia. Well, a little more than pareidolia maybe since it's actually <laughs> it is a drawing of some kind of animal. But Here, I just sent it to you in Skype. Oh, and... holy Christ on a crooked crutch. There it is. C-Web <laughs> sent me something. Check it out. Dinosaur. I clicked on it. Dino Christ. Yeah, I don't know why it's a it crucified stegosaurus. <laughs> I don't know why it didn't open up. I, I clicked on it, it didn't open up. Is there a place where I can see like notifications in in Skype? Oh yeah. Um click on the little message. It's on the right bottom right corner by there's a little message bubble. Show I am, I think it says. I don't see that shit. Oh you're on <laughs> you're on a Mac, that's why that shit's all different. Let's see what happens if I type in Stegosaurus Temple. I typed my That's Google a band name. I found it. I found it. Is it Bible.ca? I don't see. Oh yeah, it's probably yeah. Calif- Bible.California or something. Canada, or... probably. Oh, Canada. Damn Canadians with You're this Bible. Than me. What's going on? The... <laughs> uh, let's see. We got Stegosaurus on the Temple Museum of Hoaxes. That's obviously a skeptical site. Geo Christian Stegosaurus and Cambodian Temple inside the temple. <laughs> going ape shit, like knocking over yeah, things. Yeah, I, I typed in East Asian Dinosaurs Pyramid, and I got Dinosaurs in Ancient Cambodian Temple, Bible.ca. There's I, conspiracy pixels. Uh, I see a bunch of different things. But yeah. I'm looking, actually, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. The thing that makes, search. it almost looks like, not an anteater, as I flippantly proposed, uh, half jokingly, but the head. No, it's funny. Is the head almost looks like a triceratops? That's what I was thinking. But the back looks like a. The plates look like a stegosaurus. Right. So it's a tristegosaurus. If, if it was a stegosaurus, stegosauruses have long necks and tiny heads. This this thing is missing a neck and has a big head. Yeah. And uh, there's actually a picture here. I did Google uh, like I. I did a search for it, and then I went to Google Images. There's one that shows someone trying to transpose a drawing of a stegosaurus over it, and conveniently, the stegosaurus has no neck. Well, uh, you know, it's someone says it's a chameleon. Stegosaurus. Actually, I could kind of see that. A skeptic is saying it's a chameleon. Have you ever seen those horned chameleons? Because it does look like it has a horn-like protrusion at uh, a lo- above the eye. Yeah, you're right. Let me see what a horn. It does. It's a freaking chameleon. You think so? Seriously? Type in horned chameleon and look at Google Images. It looks exactly like it. I think you should do an episode on this. Oh, we're doing one right now. I think we are. There it is, horned chameleon. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Holy shit. The tail's not as curly, but you know, but, it's yeah, but I mean, it, it, yeah, it's you know, it's artistic you know, interpretation. You know, but it, it, are where are they native to? Hell, <laughs> no. That's a good question. Horn, where is it? Uh, um, ja- it's also known as Jackson's chameleon. Jackson's chameleon. Habitat uh, we, hold on. geographic oh, we, range. We may have. We may. We, well, we may. 
may not be right. No, I no, I think we're fucked. It's. Uh, I think I saw Kenya, South Central Kenya, and North Tanzania. Tanzania. Shit. Why is this? Per- Let me go back to Google. Jackson Jackson's chameleons are native to the woodlands and forests of altitudes of sixteen hundred to twenty four forty meters in South Central Kenya, and Northern Tanzania. So it's Damn not it. that low. That's. See, we just debunked it. We debunked it. Debunked the debunk. Which you have to do if you want to be so I'm saying. You know, intellectually honest. What, then there's something here. It's called AboveTopSecret.com. It says, oh, God. Uh, don't go into that. You're, is that bad? Is Above it? AboveTop Secret is like a conspiracy site, but go into it. It might be fun. It says, what appears to be a stegosaurus stenops is found between other animals like monkeys, buffalo, parrots, deer, and many more ordinary animals. People are suggesting the stone carvers of the 10th century saw dinosaurs, uh, and then parentheses, a stegosaurus, just as they've seen monkeys, buffalo, and other jungle animals. So check this out. Uh, you, you listen to Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, right? With, uh, oh, I forget the guy's uh, name. The I'm novellas. Drunk. The novellas, yeah. Because for a while, I was watching a lot of near-death experience debates, mm-hmm. and uh, novella went head-to-head against... Eben Alexander, yep. and they each had a partner. I, I caught the most hate online ever when I dared to criticize Eben Alexander. But he he has a his his blog Neurologica. Yeah, it's uh, he has a, a blog post on it from 2008. Damn, this is old. And he comes to the conclusion: it's not a horned chameleon, but it is a chameleon. Oh, is that that's what he's saying? Yeah. Holy shit. Well, forget he said that. We just we just cracked the case. We cracked we the code, man. <laughs> We're on the case. Solved it. Done. It's well, a chameleon. Even if no, it's funny because even if it's a stegosaurus, it's a stegosaurus with no neck, so it must have evolved over time. So you still fucked Christians. That yeah, exactly evolution. right. <laughs> so he evolved a shorter neck because the plants were closer to. Yeah, his, it didn't have uh, to reach for things. He didn't have to reach as far. I heard that's a that that's a myth, that's a bogus myth too. The giraffe. Oh, the neck length thing? Yeah. What's the true story? Um, I don't know. Did you but see... I, uh... But I know what 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 is, what is good to be used as a uh, counter to creationists is the lang... The lang... It's the damn nerve that runs from your neck. Precious. <laughs> you sound just like... <laughs> I just have such a low voice, naturally. I, just, I know. You got it. Kill it, son. <laughs> what were you saying? Uh... Um, it it uh, it runs from your neck and it goes through like uh, a ventricle in your heart, like it wraps around your heart. Then it loops back up. It right? loops back up. Right. And it, and it does the same thing in a giraffe. You're thinking like, well, if I'm a designer, which what creationists say they are, <laughs> that's gotta be a straight run. That's not yeah. Why would like I that. run this nerve all the way down around the heart and back up the giraffe's neck? It seems like an incredible waste of time. Absolutely. And that's because, I mean, evolution isn't a perfect, quote-unquote, design or it works with what it has and adapts. Exactly. But see, what I have a hard time with using certain words when discussing things. Like like when I'm talking about nature and you want to say designed. Because it almost right? personifies what you're talking yeah. about and makes it seem like it's associated with some kind of agency or something like that, right? Like when my when my 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 daughter asked me about how, you know why do we do things like you know why are humans do this I'm, I, I want to say designed because she could understand design 
But I also want to say because of evolution, this was a trait that was favored over others and, and evolved over time. It, her seven-year-old brain may not comprehend that. So I, I gotta, I'm so hesitant to say design. And, oh, and the God question has come up with my daughter. I think you would tell me about that and you were kind of but this is this that was, was a, that was a while ago oh, this is like one. recently um because we i always try to sprinkle science in on her like science stuff and uh, the universe and how old it is and it's like oh you know where the universe come from she, oh god i'm like god i'm like hmm. I'm wait like, back up she says that yeah now where's she where's her notion of god come from exactly i don't talk to her about it as far as i know my wife doesn't talk to her about it she must be hearing it from school. Oh, uh, yeah, that could be. Oh, dude, I got to tell you this, this story. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when my daughter was in kindergarten, um, they, they asked for parent volunteers to come in and do like a brief uh, display of something, right? Like come in and do like an artwork or come in and do like a science experiment. So I, I volunteered for a science experiment. And I bought my daughter this thing. They're called snap circuits. Hmm. And they're like, little pieces of uh, plastic with, with um, pieces of metal on them. You stack them together and it creates a circuit and it does, like, it does, it turns a light on or it, um, you know, it does a, a buzzer or it's just a light switch. You can turn sounds on and off and, and there's different things you can do to create a, you know, using engineering and electricity to create circuits. Mm-hmm. And so I went into her kindergarten class and I wanted to explain to kids about electricity and how it works. And I started talking about, you know, atoms and, and current and all this stuff in, in a way that, you know, five-year-olds, five-year-olds would understand. Um, and then, so I'd ask questions. I'm like, so, and I was like, so where do atoms come? Like, um, like where do atoms come from? <laughs> and this little girl's like, God, Uh-oh. I was like, I was like, Oh, like, how do I handle this? How'd you get out of that one? I was like, well, atoms come from, I just ignored her. <laughs> <laughs> and I explained how atoms work and how proton and electrons, you know, transfer back and forth between atoms. But like, it was like two or three questions where this little girl was God, God, God. I'm like, like this is a little girl. That's that's not the answer. You didn't explode and say there is no God. There is no God. You got rot in the earth. You're gonna you die a horrible, family. miserable death alone. <laughs> Worms are gonna eat your face. It's horrible. So I just walk out the back door. I'm done. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Bye. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, I don't, I well, don't know. Like, where... That's almost like debating creationists or something. It's like they have this. They filled the gap. How do you unfill it? You know what I mean. I think it's just like I think it's just a cop out. It's like it is a cop out. Yeah, God did it. Like, oh, aren't you like? Don't you want to know? You know. Well, and some people don't though. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. There's plenty of people that don't want to know. Or I think uh, what's so amazing is the way that Christian apologists twist themselves up into pretzels, so they can see like they're part, so they can seem like they're part of the modern world. But they're still defending these anachronistic, superstitious ideas and trying to make them seem scientifically valid. Uh, like I saw, um, who was I talking uh, about? David Silver, David Silverman. There's some guy. I forget his first name. Something White, Professor Something White, not Walter White. Walter from <laughs> Breaking. He kind of looked like Walter White. He was he was bald and had uh, glasses. I think. But it's supposed to be this really erudite guy, and he's debating David Silverman, and but his 
he had that way, you know, like creation, like Christian apologists do of talking down the atheists, like a smug attitude is going to apologize for your lack of actual facts somehow. Like, go oh, look at the stupid atheist or whatever. I'm, I'm trying to think, uh, like, one, one of his excuses for why the Bible was real, he said something like, the New Testament is good, every syllable is pure, and I'm mm. like, what do you base that on? It's a book full of contradictions. It's actually a book. It's an anthology. It's a book assembled of many other books, both the yeah. Old and the New Testament. And like, I always like to talk about doublets. You know, you go to the Old Testament, mm -hmm. you got two accounts of creation, one on the heels of the other, which um, differ on the order in which things are created. You have two different Noah flood accounts, one on yep. the heels of the other. One says something about sev seven animals, the, the pure, clean ones at least. The other says two of every animal. And uh, the only place they can retreat to after that, the only argument they have is to say that, well, the, the Bible shouldn't be taken completely literally and... Um, well, they pick and choose what they want to take literally and, and figuratively. Yeah, or they'll say that it's even if it's not correct all the time, as a whole, it's divinely inspired. Yeah. The authors were inspired. It's like, get the hell out of here, man. It's um, almost like uh, uh, they have to live in the real world, right, with modern technology and, mm -hmm. and what, what science has accomplished for us, but they also want to live in the past. Like, take... Ben Carson, you know who Ben Carson is, right? Oh, unfortunately, I do. He's the neuroscientist who's running for uh, the Republican presidential uh, candidacy. And, but he's somehow he's a neuroscientist, but he he's super it, Christy at the same time. Yeah, he's like no, he's a, he's a neurosurgeon. Neurosurgeon, right? And Sam he, Harris is a neuroscientist. Yeah, so it, th that's kind of scarier. This guy actually cuts into brains, right? But he, he he's really good at what he's done. What he what he did, he didn't practice anymore. But he he was a brilliant neurosurgeon. Uh, mm -hmm. Take nothing away from him. But the the point is, the point I was trying to make is that. Um, the whole debate over Planned Parenthood and and stem cell and fetal tissue tissue research. Oh, he they found he, out. He yeah. wrote a paper on he the benefits. He experimented on it. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's like they want to believe in this make believe world of what right and wrong, black and white, until that world bumps up against reality. Then brass tacks, you know. Right. Science is science, and that's what's kind of scary because some people, at least he at some point uh, acquiesced to science, you know, kind of made way for science. And, but there's other people who don't want to. They want to pull us back into the dark ages, which is really scary, you know what I mean? Let me give you an example here. I end up dope. Um, so uh, during that whole Planned Parenthood uh, Dr. video that was released recently. Oh, um, yeah, where they yeah. supposedly caught... I sound like the Kool-Aid guy said... Oh, oh yeah, or, or Macho Man Randy Savage. We got some Kool Aid here, brother, with Snap my two inch it. python. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh. But the, uh, uh, the 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 that video, which was heavily edited, which made Planned Parenthood look like they were selling the body parts of aborted yeah. fetuses, which was it's just the shipping costs, right? Or right. Yeah, like the recovering cost to yep. ship and maintain. The, the fetal tissue, which was blatantly uh, wrong, completely wrong with what they do. So...
Okay. They're like they're like died in the wool Catholics, right? Okay. Through and through. So obviously, no abortion. A, abortion is is the e- most evilest thing in the world. Um, and so she she posted this article from this priest or pastor or some jabroni uh, <laughs> who's like. Oh, it was right around when that Cecil the Lion was killed. Okay. Oh, I did a show about that. Yeah, I did. I remember listening to that. I listened to your show on that. And what pissed me off so goddamn much about the lion, I, it sucks that that lion got killed, right? They fed it, it fetuses, you know. It was, they did. <laughs> so it deserved to die. They called it a It deserved to die and it deserved to burn in hell. Yeah. <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't got no soul. Kill it. <laughs> it got out so, it's beautiful. Like, God made it. Kill it. <laughs> Everybody was like, Everyone's so up in arms about a lion, but whatever, insert your cause here and care about this cause. Like, look, you can care about the deadline. Yeah, you can care about more than one thing, okay? People can care about the lion being killed. You can care about, you know, whatever your cause is, but... But the article she posted was this this jabroni religious guy was like, everyone is up in arms about the one death of lion where every year millions of innocent babies are slaughtered and Planned Parenthood is selling the fetuses for a profit, blah, blah, blah. So I commented, I was like, everything in that video was not true. It was edited in a deceptive way. Mm -hmm. And um, Planned Parenthood does not sell aborted fetuses uh, for profit. The, and, the only money is to cover the the expensive exactly right. Is like thirty bucks or something like that. And those that fetal tissue is used for scientific research to actually benefit people with diseases that uh, in the here and now. And it's it's very important that we have these. And she said, yeah, it's very important, but not at the expense of innocent babies. Blah blah blah. Is that it's any like other? They're not babies, and it's like if if someone harvested and destroyed eggs during research from a lion, no one would probably give a shit. Yeah, but you but, know what I mean. But when you kill a sentient being that's fully formed, right? And uh, they don't f- for just to get thrills to feel like a powerful or something. It's not even an animal people eat for food that I know of, at least not Westerners, right? And but here, here's 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 my long winded point, where where I was talking about how their science bumps up with the reality, the reality of science bumps up with their worldview because she was. She wasn't. It was civil. Get me wrong, but she was saying, not at the not scientific progress at the expense of aborted fetuses. It's because yeah. of people who donate. It's because of Planned Parenthood that people donate this fetal tissue. That scientists can go in and look for a cure for these debilitating diseases. It's like Piss everything within reason. You know, it's not all black and white. Like uh, I have a similar feeling about abortion as. Maybe Christopher Hitchens, where people are often surprised because he's an atheist, but he's like, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but obviously abortion is something that should be taken seriously. You know, just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean you va- you don't value unborn life. But it's everything right. within reason. I almost look at it as a sliding scale. You're going from a fertilized egg to once it's outside the womb or once you're nine months pregnant, uh, you know, a fully formed infant human. And there's a lot of room in between. And I think, you know, the further along into the gestation process you wait, obviously the closer it is to the termination of a human life. But there's a lot of room in the early period where I don't think it's a big, well, I shouldn't say that trivializes it, but I don't think it's a big deal morally where I would want to prevent people from doing it. And the analogy I used to use, I remember this came to me as like a young kid, maybe my early teens or something. It's like, if I saw a bird's egg on the ground, like a chicken egg that was cracked open and, you know, there was something barely formed in it or or just a yolk or something, I wouldn't feel 
too much, you know, my heartstrings wouldn't be pulled. But if I saw a bird that was in its death throes suffering on the ground, that would tear at my heart and I'd feel compelled to help it. You know, there's a difference between a fertilized egg or whatever, or, you know, a blob of cells mm -hmm. and a fully sentient, fully formed creature. You know, there has to be some room for common sense and compromise. You know what I mean? Well, I think um, the term pro-choice and pro-life are divisive or yeah divisive but not, but they're loaded terms right i can yeah. be pro-choice and you could be against abortion so if if like who's happy about abortion out right exactly <laughs> who's out there saying yay abortion it's like yeah. what's your what's your what's your goal is your goal to reduce the amount of abortions at me as a, a progressive liberal my goal is to reduce the amount of unplanned pregnancies that lead to abortions. And right, how do you do right. that? You do comprehensive sexual Sex education, education yeah. and you do widespread contraceptives. What does Planned yeah. Parenthood do? 97% of what very, they do. Yeah, a very small percent is in abortion. A lot 3%, of yeah, preventative 3%. health and it's breast exams. It's preventative health, and, it's STDs, yeah. it's contraceptive care. So me... I'm like, I to, to my Christian friends who are anti-abortion, I said, are, do you want to minimize or reduce abortions? They say yes. I'm like, do you support widespread contraceptive use and free contraceptive and Hell comprehensive no, sex? Don't. No, they don't want that stuff taught in schools. And no, they don't want to give that and out it's freely. It's religious objections. Yeah. And, I said, it's like and, you're, and I go, no. And I go, then you're not for the reduction of abortions you're for the control of female sexuality. Yeah, it's like if you give a kid, uh, there might be a small like grain of truth. You know, if you give a kid a condom, it's like giving them the okay. But guess what? Since time immemorial, young people have been screwing. It's what they're programmed for. They're gonna do it. What they're way. designed for. What they're designed for. But yeah, it's like you might. You know, what I mean, at least make sure they're safe or whatever. But it, it's not about abortion. It's not. It's about female sexuality because if you yeah. wanted to reduce abortions, you would do what I said to do mm -hmm. because it's been proven that that works. It's, it, there's no coincidence that the states with the highest rates of not only teen pregnancies but divorce are the reddest of the red states in the South who are also the most religious states mm -hmm. um, because of that very reason. It's not about abortion. It's about controlling female sexuality. There has to be a punishment for having sex. Your punishment in to their brains <laughs> is having that baby. So you're yeah. not pro-life. You're just anti-female sexuality. And, and probably anti-sexuality in general to some extent. Or it's viewed for, as no, for dirty. guys, it's okay. Oh, yeah, and you see that uh, hypocritically you know, with powerful... Um, adult males or whatever think it's all right to get some on the side or they're entitled to this and that but yeah it's unthinkable that an underage female would engage in sexuality following her own impulses or whatever not even not even underage just any female at any age yeah that's true you, too. you know it's all it's 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 sex for them that's all it is and and when you call them out on it they're they're not about reducing abortion it's it's not what it's about 
what was that? Do- there was some Republican doctor who is super pro-life, uh, so this really bald creeper mother effer. And uh, he was in the news and it turned out he was cheating on his wife with like a string of women. And he'd actually encouraged like uh, several of his mistresses to have abortions or something. Yeah, like that. I think I remember that guy. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, he's a creeper. But on the he was a doctor or he's a pol- like a pro-life politician. Something like that, yeah. But he might have been both. I don't know. Well, he might have been a, a a doctor with some influence who was also, you know, with some political clout who was very pro uh, pro life, and he was actually encouraging mistresses and paid for mistresses to have uh, abortions. That's some slimy stuff, man. Um, I think. Uh, what are you saying, son? I'm I'm looking it up. I know he looks like he looks like a pink Shrek or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Pro-life politician, mistress abortion. Pro-life Republican congressman and doctor. Yeah, he was both. He was a congressman and a doctor. Pressured mistress patient to get abortion. Scott Disjarlaris. Oh, something like that. Yeah, he's like an Uncle Fester looking motherfucker, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely, man. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Tea Party backed Republican had an affair with a patient and later pressured her to get an abortion. From your favorite site, the Huffington Post. The Huffington Post. Yeah, it's, it's embarrassing. I get so much from the Huffington Post, but it's one of the first things I do in the morning is you know I have a Huffington Post app, and yeah, it's probably in part. Let's be, let's be honest. It's because I, I I consider myself like an independent progressive. I don't consider I, I don't offer my loyalty to the Democratic Party by very progressive on social right. issues. Um. And the Huffington Post is largely progressive. Plus, they have some pretty cool articles on science and religion and things like that. But look at their—they uh, have a paranormal section. I didn't even know they had that. That's crazy. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, it's terribly good for me. Uh, lots of fodder. <laughs> oh yeah, that's awesome. Oh, oh man, that's awesome. Because I did uh, one of my PSA weeklies. It wasn't from Huffington Post, but it was about. Um, from another news site, it was about the healing power of magic stones. Oh, man. About this girl had a headache, and this her friend told her to put this amethyst stone on her forehead, Jesus. and two hours later, her headache was gone. Thanks now, to the stone. I used to suffer from chronic migraines. If if all I had to do was put a stone on my head, you know, give me a break. Hey, I can sell you one, 200 bucks. 200 that's actually, bucks. That's actually cheap. You and know, it also come. allows you to uh, decipher... Uh, Mormon tablets too. Yes, right. Do <laughs> you did you play uh, Final Fantasy games? Yes, I did. Actually, my favorite. Uh, and this is funny because I won't drag you down the Gamergate thing, but you know, like Anita Sarkeesian always saying, "There's not enough female role models in games or whatever." Yeah. My um, my favorite Final Fantasy installment, and this might be somewhat embarrassing, but I don't care. It might have been like X Dash. Two or I forget what it's called, but it was the one with three female heroines. That your party was three female characters, like Yuna, Riku, and Pain. Did you just fall over? No, drunk? I hit my mic on accident. Sorry. I thought you were so drunk, you just like <laughs> fell out of your chair. Oh, uh, he but, passed uh, out. I always, but... yeah, no, dude, I, I love Final Fantasy. Yeah, my favorite installment was Final Fantasy Seven. Was that the one with the blonde dude with, with like Cloud, the, the checkerboard and... pants and stuff? Uh, it wasn't checkerboard pants. It was the it was on PlayStation, the original PlayStation. It was Cloud. Uh, Seth Roth was the um the the uh, antagonist. Um, it had a Barrett, the dude with the machine gun on his arm. 
Oh, I didn't uh, play that one. Oh, it's it's on. It was on PlayStation. It was the original PlayStation. I I think I logged like sixty four hours on that thing. I had PlayStation two. I didn't have PlayStation. Oh, that, yeah. It was. Um, what year was it? Let me see here. Nineteen ninety seven. Scary. Yeah. It, but like, um, so the the Magic Stones article I read, in the no no shit that he was like, if you combined. Um, quartz it amplifies the powers of other oh, stones, no. and, and oh, so I no. trail off and I go. Like I found this we- customization or yeah, something. Yeah, I, I found this website where you use materia from from the life source, uh, the life flow of the of the of the planet, um, made by Mako, and you combine it. I just pretty much read what you do in Final Fantasy. <laughs> Did they have a uh, what were the name of those things? They looked like they looked like. Chickens, big chickens that chocobos, 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 or whatever the hell they chocobos, are. Chocobos, chocobos, however you want to say it. Yeah, man, the, uh, <laughs> the big yellow chickens. They're like in all the Final Fantasy games. That reminds me too of us. Kind of, you can only ride chocobos across the the quicksand because they're big ass worms that try to eat you, and oh, only chocobos well, can get across those. it. Like they look like the sandworms from Dune yeah, from or, something like or that. from uh, uh, Tremors. Tr- oh yeah, with Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bigman and um, what's that one guy? He's in everything. Um, Not do you see the trimmers where they they can like walk on land? It was like trimmers three. No, I didn't see that. Oh That's god, they're... sad though. How like every great horror franchise eventually just turns to shit and it just. Dude, I was so afraid of trimmers. Like I was literally afraid because I live in California. We got earthquakes all the time. Oh wow! <laughs> I was so like, afraid. Here they come. Yep. I was afraid. I was, I, and I lived in high desert too, so it was like sandy. Oh, so it's like just like the movie. Yep, it was two, nine, 1990, So I was, I was nine. Dude, I was like that. Maybe it's it's funny. Like I'm from New England, where there's a lot of like you know coastal regions and shit, and like uh, Cape Cod and whatnot. Uh, Jaws messed me up almost as bad as The Exorcist. I used to. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, it's so silly. Like it. It's so superstitious to the extreme, but to the point where when I was a kid, if I was jumping into like a swimming pool, there'd be like a brief second while I was in like midair doing a cannonball, like the shark's gotta be in there. <laughs> or even if like you drink like a cup of like dark like grape juice or something, oh, there's a little sharks in there. Did you did you have anybody with like a a dark bottom swimming pool? No, but that sounds scary, dude. I had a friend growing up who the the bottom of the pool was dark, so it was just like a black abyss, and I I was terrified to swim in that thing. Uh, I did not swim in. I swam in it once. I jumped in and I panicked like I was being pulled to a black hole, and I got out. It's like I'm never swimming this damn thing again. It's that, a black bottom pool. That reminds me of it's something that uh, I'm maybe kind of like our conversation at the top of the show about um space time and stuff like that it's something i'm not i'm still not sure about but i have some thoughts like i don't know if you'd call it generational or genetic memory or something but i wonder do you because not only was i did i used to be really afraid of sharks uh i used to also be really afraid of like prehistoric like things like you know like some people like Loch Ness think, Monster you know, like some people think Nessie was a plesiosaur and they often draw Nessie as like a plesiosaur the idea of a reptilian aquatic monstrosity you know with sharp teeth or whatever just freaks me out do you think that there's some kind of evolution some way that evolution kind of shapes us to be afraid of certain types 
of life forms, maybe, whether it's spiders, poisonous snakes, maybe dangerous uh, aquatic life or so. Do you think there's any truth to that, or what do you think about that? You know, I think like what's called what's called evolution psychology or evolutionary psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I largely think that discipline is bullshit. <laughs> right. uh, I think uh-huh. it's it's a lot of speculation, right? Spe- that's the keyword. Speculation. Yeah, it's like how, it's like you try to take like how we live today and apply it to two hundred. Thousand, two hundred fifty thousand, a million years ago to right. early Homo, uh, Homo erectus, Homo sapiens, um, and, and I think it's just a lot of speculation. But I also think there's some truth to it. The whole, uh, you know, like like why you when you see a stick in a road and you think it's a snake, like, oh shit, it's a snake, right? Uh, you know, then you're like, oh, the it's false just a stick. positive thing, you're right, right, right. I'm I'm not entirely convinced of that. Um, because I think it is speculation, but I can see some merit in it as far as it does make sense. You know, it's evil is like, I was going to say, well, you have to do experiments on children. You have to see like, see if babies and small kids are afraid of like snakes or what. But I think they, didn't they find the opposite? Like that kids, very small kids, maybe like toddlers or whatever, didn't necessarily have an inherent fear of snakes or reptiles or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think to me, I think it's a learned behavior because my, my study of of children. I, I during my graduate school, I took some um, courses in childhood development, um, and the consensus is that children learn by watching their parents and the people around them. That makes sense um, it, it, to to a certain degree. It's almost. There's no really nature versus nurture debate. It's both. Um, yes. And so children are largely influenced by their parents. So I think a lot of it isn't like, oh, um, that one person got bit by a snake and died. He couldn't procreate. So <laughs> the person that didn't lives. I think, no, I think, oh, shit, we saw that person get eaten by a snake and he died. We're going to avoid snakes because that dude died. And it's like almost like a, it's passed down. If it's like if it was um, if your father was like Steve Irwin, you know, back when he was alive, uh, like was it Bindi Irwin, his daughter still works mm-hmm. with animals or something. It's like if you're raised with this guy who has a very positive view of like what other people would view as dangerous animals like crocodiles and right. things and snakes, you might have a very positive attitude towards those animals, you know. Right. And like, oh, this person. Oh, you know, Mike went too close to the water, got ate by an alligator. All right, don't go next to the water because there might be alligators in there. Yeah. And then that's passed down. And that's what I think. I think a lot of marine experts, don't they say like Jaws might have done a lot of harm to even the. I mean, I'm sure we might naturally be put off to the appearance of sharks to some yeah. degree, but Jaws like fully demonized sharks. And I think it's slowly being reversed like there was just a story in the huffington post about possibly the biggest female great white shark that was encountered and it shows like a diver in a cage and the people in the comment section were talking about how beautiful the shark was referring to her by the female gender and all this stuff i think people might slowly be realizing that it's another living creature um, you don't have to demonize it, even though it's you know powerful. It's an apex predator or whatever. Well, you know, it's uh, recently 
um, this summer for some reason there was like three or four shark attacks off the coast the, of North Carolina. You see the surfer one? Where, oh, like, that was live, crazy. Live TV, the surf. Yeah, yeah. dude got oh, attacked by man. a shark, and he was like, "Oh shit, I'm swimming fast as I can to the dam." But like, so there was like three or four shark attacks in, in off of North, the coast of North Carolina. Um, people were bit. No one died, for, uh, fortunately, uh, but they they were bit or they had limbs severed. Right, mm-hmm. and and your first instinct is like, oh, we gotta find that shark and kill it. Monster, yeah. But you're like, the shark's just being a shark. It's it doesn't. A, yeah, I was gonna it, say. Supposedly, they don't even want to eat us. The the reason why people usually only lose limbs or something is because uh, they explore their environment. Uh, that was so New England. Like they explore their environment. <laughs> they explore their environment with their mouths. So they'll usually take a bite of something, and if it's not what they view as edible, they spit it back out, which is why a lot of people only loot only. Yeah, yeah, I know. But hey, if I'm either my arm or my life, bye bye arm. (laughs) That's true. You can always get a uh, cybernetic Jedi. Exactly. You know, technology is moving at a rapid pace. (laughs) But like, but like people, people are like, "We got to hunt down the shark and kill it." I'm like, "It's a shark. It's doing what sharks does. You're in its house." It, exactly. it, you're swimming where it lives. It's not the shark's fault that it bit you. Stay the out of the water. That's like I joked on this the Cecil the Lion episode that there's a couple of cases of where female big game hunters on Facebook who show their kills and stuff uh, have caught Ugh. some uh, backlash. And there's one. It shows this lady who's just this shitty smirk, and she has literally has like a dead giraffe's neck kind of wrapping around her legs and she says something about how giraffes uh can be very dangerous animals and i joke in the show i'm like you know when giraffes aren't dangerous when you're not near them trying to kill them yeah i, you I remember you said I mean? that yeah yeah, it's crazy. yeah it's sport hunting and she quotes um, genesis too and i'm like yeah the passages lose- you just quoted mention hunting for food you're losing your your argument there if you, cl- yeah, if you quote the bibles yeah but like sport hunting, especially, you know, I'm not ignorant of where my meat comes from. Yeah, you can't you know, be, you know. You know, I, can, could I do that? Could I slaughter an animal? I, I don't think I don't I think could. I could either. And, but yeah. and I feel like a pussy because of it because I still eat meat even though I feel conflicted right. about it. You know? Right. I'm not. It, it's 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 the convenience of living in a modern society that we don't have to think about where our food comes from. Yeah. But it's also. A curse too, because we don't have to think where our food comes from. We just take it for granted that someone somewhere is slaughtering an animal, cutting up its meat, its muscle for me to eat uh, with onions, guacamole, and some barbecue sauce. Yeah, that's. I don't know if you're a fan of Anthony Bourdain or not, but I, I like. Uh, I don't watch his CNN show that much, but I used to watch No Reservations or whatever it was. It's weird because you can tell he's a guy with a heart who cares about animals, but at the same time he loves meat. He's a he's a chef and all this stuff. And he was somewhere down like New Orleans, uh, out in the like the backwoods or whatever. And they had a pig, and they had like this old, you know, ratty pickup truck or whatever. And the pig's in the back of the truck, and they want to let. Anthony Bourdain do the quote unquote honors and they hand him a pistol. Mm. So they put food at like a dog dish with food in it or some shit, like at the end of the truck and the, the the pig comes up to it and Anthony Bourdain, you can tell he's like, Oh man, but he still goes with it. Mm -hmm. Point blank puts the pistol to the pig's head, shoots it dead. 
Then they show them just stripping right away, just stripping the pig down, cutting it in half. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows what parts they need. Like the guy who makes sausages takes, you know, the intestines or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Bourdain was talking about, he could tell he, you know, he felt bad, but he's like, he's talking about philosophically at the point where it goes from being an animal to being meat. You know, after you see it being processed past a certain point, you know, longer seeing a dead body, you're seeing food or whatever. But yeah, it's just crazy, man. It is. It is. Like I watch a lot of survival shows. Mm -hmm. I love survival shows. And um, when they have to kill an animal, it's like it's gruesome to watch. But you're almost like I I get what they're doing because they're surviving. Yeah. And I would like to think that I would be able to do that if it was a matter of life and death. But fortunately, I'm not in that position to do that. And, and But going back to sport hunting or, or hunting for food, um, I don't have issues with people who really hunt to sustain themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's sad in a way inherently, but you understand it. And there's a certain dignity or morality to or moral ground about it that we can't stand on as people who buy our meat from supermarkets and don't do our own killing you know what i mean well i have a friend who's a a vegetarian slash vegan um and i I have conversations with her about meat so i said you know if if we were able one of her hang-ups is that you have to kill animals i was like well if we can grow meat in the lab would you would you still eat it she was like no i wouldn't because of (laughs) health gross right I know it sounds gross, but she said no. I wouldn't because of health reasons. Because you know, oh, I feel better. Oh, I see. I'm like, uh, I was like, okay, that's that's respectable. But uh, so I would, I would poke fun of her. I was like, you know, if it wasn't for meat, um, evolutionary speaking, you and I wouldn't be oh, here to have this conversation. I think it's like I don't know if it's Australopithecus or which hominid it was, but one of them supposedly had enough brains, no pun intended, that they uh, didn't they know to like they'd watch predators supposedly and when the predators were done they would like scavenge the kills and i think you may have corrected me on this before so i could be wrong and and, and you'll probably know but there's a, at least one theory that the consum- consumption of meat had something to do with the fueling of our brain power and brain size or something like that well right? it was um from what i remember it was the cooking of meat ah, that allowed um our jaw muscles to shrink which uh, allow for the expansion of our skulls and the growth of our brains oh i get you okay because it when you cook something you you break down the fibers and the tissues and the enzymes and it makes it easier to only chew but to digest and you wouldn't need really strong muscles to chew raw meat right um that you would for cooked meat and so i would say that to her i was like you know because of the the meat we ate and it also um you know when push comes to shove, meat is the best protein for humans to have. Um, it, it, it has the right, the necessary amounts of protein, um, the nutrients that we need to fuel our bodies. It, we can't come up with a synthesized version of it as, as good as meat. Right. So you have to have a lot of something else to, to equal a small amount of meat. And so it, it, it helped fuel our evolution. In more ways than one, and and I when I told my friend, I jokingly poke at her and say, "Hey, because of meat, you know, evolutionary speaking, you and I, we wouldn't be here without it." <laughs> she, you know, she'd laugh it off, but that, but but it also goes to show that you know, as we mature as a society, right? We can we don't have to rely on you know um, what they call paleo diets. 
We don't right. have to rely on prairie living, savanna living, where we scavenge for food like we do, like or like our ancestors did. We can't adjust our eating habits. So there's nothing saying that we can't move ourselves off of meat because we science and technology has progressed to where we can synthesize the the compounds that we get from meat. Well, that's what I say, and I, and I think that. And I've said this a couple of times on my show that we reach a point, I think we will reach a point as a species where we're so self-aware, so we have that moral burden that other species don't. We know that we're killing and we know whether we have to or not and, and what the repercussions are, the moral implications. We're going to have to choose at some point as a species if we want to continue doing this. And I think at least, you know, at this point, we should stop doing certain things like killing for fashion. And, oh, yeah. Uh, like, I remember, I think I probably talked about that. No, I definitely talked about this with you before, how I saw a documentary about PETA on HBO. And I have issues with PETA and the way they conduct themselves, the nature of some of their campaigns and stuff. But I'll never forget it. They were showing animals on a fur farm being skinned and they were probably like or i don't know if it's ermine or ermines or uh or like some kind of animal in the weasel family or something like that and they were skinning the animals and i remember thinking to myself well at least the animals are dead you know but then yeah. they show they pull the skin off and they throw like the the red muscly husk in a pile of other dead little red skinless bodies and they show it breathing frantically mm. and you see its breath its hot breath turning to mm. mist as it hits the air so they're skinning these things alive they're pulling their skins off and throwing their skinless bodies into a pile and uh that's that's uncalled for in this day and age where we have Gore-Tex, you know, where we have so many different synthetic materials i mean shit the least you could do is is give them a humane death if you if you're gonna do that. But I don't think there's any reason for people to wear furs in this day and age, unless you're like an Inuit living away from society or something. Right. Like that, you know? Yeah. There's a certain level of like you need it for your survival. I, I and you know, like they probably could kill them humanely, but maybe they don't want to damage the furs, or uh, maybe it's quicker to do it that way or something. And, and it's just inexcusable. There's no moral excuse for it and it sickens me and, and so i think things like that like it's like the needless it's like needless suffering yeah you and know if if i want the the whole organic um free range movement um you know I'm, the science isn't in organic organic is is no better or no worse than conventional grown crops um but, but as far as like uh free range or or humanely treated animals i'm all for that in the end um, chickens, cows, uh, their food. Do you, when's the last time you've seen a wild cow somewhere? Oh, those animals are so domesticated. Yeah, and, uh, to be bred for food. And that's if, one thing like I was going to say with like, because I love dogs. You know, I just love dogs. And, oh, dogs uh, are so delicious. Oh, wait. Uh, yeah, well, that's the point I'm going to make is that some people say it's all cultural relativity, you know, different cultures eat different animals. Mm -hmm. And the one argument I can kind of come up with for that is that, like you said, chickens, cows, pigs, these are animals that were bred to be livestock. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think we have more of a symbiotic 
kind of social relationship with dogs where we tamed, you know, wolves, transformed them into dogs. And they were mostly, I mean, from the beginning, they were probably like almost employees. You know, they were like hunting, <laughs> like uh, hunting companions and watchdogs. Also for no kid, I mean, probably a matter of life and death. In, in some cases, they were used for body warmth. Yeah. Um, I think that's where the, the phrase three dog night actually comes from. It has something to do with that. Mm. And, uh, but I think obviously they became companion animals too. And there's like, you go all the way back to ancient Egypt and you can see depictions of the Royal family with companion animals with cats and dog, domestic cats and dogs and things like that. So that's maybe the one weak ass argument I can think of, you know, that it might not be cultural relativity, that one animal was raised as a kind of uh, working partner and, and domestic pet. And the, the others were raised for food. But even then I remember like, I used to think, well, maybe, okay, I, I don't have to go vegan. Maybe someday I can be vegetarian. I can still have pizza and stuff. I can mm -hmm. still eat eggs. Then I saw like videos of something. I think it's called, uh, maceration. Was it match, uh, maceration, maceration. And it, ha it takes place on like egg farms because the the farms only need enough chick enough male chicks to procreate with the female ones they mm -hmm. only need a certain number of them so they do what they I saw Mike Rowe doing this once on Dirty Jobs and he was joking about it cuz it's called sexing the chick you <laughs> you turn the little the baby chick over and sex it which means you know determining its its biological sex right and they only need so many males so i'm not shitting you the excess males get thrown into the shredding machine called oh, a macerator uh... or something like that. So, and Mike Rowe was um, reluctantly doing it. So all these like hundreds of little male fluffy chicks get thrown into a metal shredder alive and just get turned to shit, just get ground up to nothing. Um, so it's like, it's like, damn, you can't even eat, just eat eggs, man. You know? Yeah. It's <laughs> and <laughs> like when I hear people who say, Oh, this such and such tastes just like chicken, or this tastes just like beef, or this just—it's like no, it doesn't. You're lying to yourself. You can't eat a, a synthetic tofu or something. tofu meat that's oh, this cauliflower tastes just like buffalo chicken wings. No, that's cauliflower with buffalo sauce on it. That's not a buffalo chicken wing. Um, but you don't animals don't have to needlessly suffer if they're going to be used as food. Um, Temple Grandin, the um, oh, the, the autistic woman who. Yeah. Who created um Claire Danes played her in that movie. Yeah, the, the the slaughterhouses where where she improved the slaughtering of cows. Now on the surface she's like she's a horrible person. She led more cows to their death. But what she did, she made it less stressful on the animal. Even though they were going to die and be our food, um, at least up to the point where they put that yeah. bolt through their head. They weren't suffering. They weren't stressed. They weren't anxious. And to me, that little bit right there is it, enough. It makes a big difference, I think. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And that's why I think you probably saw in smaller, like, family farms and stuff. You know, there's the old joke about don't name, uh, you know, the cow or the pig or whatever because you don't want to look at it as a pet because eventually right. you're going to yeah. have to kill it. It shows that there was some kind of attachment or a humane interaction with the animal or something. But I think the, these factory farms, 
are just crazy. I, first of all, I hate that word factory farm. I, think I don't know. A, I think it's a loaded word. I don't know what what you call them. I, I mean, honestly, I, I don't I don't know what the proper word is. So I yeah. say that. Yeah, it's. I feel it's almost. I don't like know if they're a, processing plants or I don't know what they are. And, but wherever it is that they yeah. kill animals on Moss, but I mean things like uh, chickens. Um, they'll literally hang the. I think turkeys too. They'll hang like chickens and turkeys upside down by their feet, and then they'll like cut their throats or something. But some of them, you know, uh, while they go down, what's kind of like an assembly line or a conveyor, don't get killed instantly, and so they end up getting dunked into the scalding water that's meant to remove the feathers. And there's been like undercover footage of people working with like, you know, turkeys or whatever actually taking like a big turkey while it's alive and using it for a seat like you'd sit on a milk crate or something while they kill other turkeys or whatever uh people throwing baby pigs around like their footballs uh kicking mo- mother pigs in the head and sh- it's and almost it's, you 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 i think the workers have to do that they have to become desensitized desensitized to, to it yeah. yeah they do that with uh, people in the military um where you, you i i went through that i i wasn't indoctrinated into it like some people were but when i was in basic training um we were doing uh hand-to-hand combat or we would do uh drills where they would say what makes the green grass grow we go blood 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 makes the green grass grow (laughs) drill sergeant you know like like uh there's there's two types of people the quick and the dead like who are we the quick who are the enemy the dead um and they they would build you break you down and build you up like that right um and during that moment i was into it right i was like this mm-hmm. is me i'm a soldier this is what i'm gonna do but eventually you know i calmed back down and i after i got a basic training but there's some people who you have to do that because you can't look at the person across from you that you're uh, authorized to m- murder pretty and much humanize them you have you to have dehumanize, to dehumanize them. them you right. have to separate yourself because look at the, the the wave of soldiers, and this is this is what pisses me off most. Because the older generation, especially who who are war hawks, right? Mm-hmm. And I say this every time to them. I said, my generation is paying for the wars of the Bush presidency. My generation is going to suffer for a lifetime because of these wars, the mental anguish, the physical anguish, the physical deformities, the mental deformities. Mm-hmm. We are suffering for this. You can't sit there and tell me one way or another that war with Iran or war with Iraq or going to kill ISIS is good because you don't understand it because it's not your generation. Well, this is the generation between Vietnam and, um, to a lesser extent, the Gulf War. They don't get it. And what's scary about all that is, like you, you said perfectly, you know, they're war hawks. And what always pisses me off, and I've never served, you know, but I, I have the decency not to start wars, is that uh, so many of them have, uh, when when it was their time, to get out of the draft, they sought all sorts of deferments, you know, daddy's money, college, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, Dick Cheney has multiple deferments. I think Donald Trump has a couple defer- yeah. deferments. Uh, George Bush served in the National Guard, I think. I don't know if that's just coincidence or if his his daddy's pull got him, uh, you know, out, off the front lines and in the National Guard. And, uh, 
even Tough Talk and Ted Nugent, who I actually like oh, some of his man. music, he Fuck literally that. shit his pants. I mean, not making it up. He literally shit yeah. his pants to get out of the army. Uh, and these are the people calling for more blood, and it's blood. absolutely disgusting, and it pisses me off every time. One of my favorite bands is uh, System of the Down. Oh, yeah, man. System of the Down is awesome. And there was one, I forgot the song called, but it says, the, one of the lyrics was, why do the poor always fight the wars? Mm-hmm. Um, because it is. Uh, it, it's it's That was so clear during Vietnam is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And the it, ethnic oh, yeah. minorities, too. Well, yeah. even even today's military, right? To me, for me personally, the military was like, shit, I fell out of community college. I have nothing else to do with my life. I need to change something. Right. And 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 for some people, that's the only way they can get out of their situation. Mm-hmm. And and to dr- have a luck of the draw, I was lucky. I was smart enough to be able to pretty much pick any job I wanted outside of a linguist because I wasn't that smart. <laughs> uh, that I didn't have to be on the front lines with a rifle, you know, in an infantry unit. But some people aren't that lucky, but they they take the risk to get out of whatever situation they're in because there's no other option. And the fact that we can't provide another option is the real tragedy, that they have to jump to the military. I think you're right. That's I mean, even though it's supposed to be voluntary now, you still notice uh, that a lot of um, military personnel happen to be minorities, or like you said, they don't they don't feel like they have any other avenues. I'm sure there are people who do it out of a sense of patriotism or uh, you know a combination of factors. But I think uh, there was a flood of probably people joining for patriotic reasons after you know nine eleven. But yeah, there was. Yeah, there was that patriotic duty that people felt. Same thing with like World War II, right? There was a lot of people mm-hmm. who signed up at a at a patriotic duty. Um, but but again, it goes back to the the fact that people are so cavalier about about the military. Where if you look, if you watch that the the jabroni Republican debate, the people who couldn't make it to the big stage, <laughs> right? Every one of them was talking about sending troops to the weirdos. To, yeah, sending troops to, to fight ISIS, putting boots on the ground. Or the the Iran deal, they're like, oh, we need to send troops into Iran. Like, you fuckers, I, I'm sure this isn't going to make it on the podcast. We're almost at four hours. Uh, well, <laughs> I like, might. I, I'm thinking I'm going to – I want I don't know, this dude. to be a kind of a, a kind of rough and wild, uncensored podcast. So Maybe you I make it a actually, bonus episode. Yeah, I might actually – I'll probably include the – the swears, you know, I feel like I do so much apologizing for like even the hint of bad, bad language well, you do, on the show. You, that... you cut it at about an hour and say the rest is up for members only. See, that would be the wise thing. Or if I just <laughs> cut everything out except for the swears, and it's just a half an hour of like nonstop f bombs and vulgar. Oh uh, yeah, that's gonna be a hard podcast. I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> We're at three hours and fifty three minutes. It's funny because I have some listeners, like, uh, I'll give them a shout-out. There's this one listener named John Haas that I'm really friendly with and I interact a lot with on the Facebook page. And he absolutely loves long episodes because I don't know what he does for a living, but I know that, like, he likes to have things to help pass the time when he's at work. He likes to listen to podcasts and stuff. And yep. whenever I do like a three-hour interview or something, he's like, "Don't be afraid to make long episodes." So he at least will probably well, just send love it to him one. then, because <laughs> I don't know how much of this is gold or just crap. I'm sure when I, uh, I'm sure when I go back and listen to it tomorrow, that 
you know, I'll be able to tell. I'm pretty yeah. good at editing, know how knowing how to separate the chaff from the wheat or whatever. But my feeling is so far that that, see, now that you have me thinking about it, I'm being self-conscious or whatever. <laughs> no, 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 I'm like <laughs> at a loss for words. No, but I think <laughs> despite, the, despite the crude language, I think we actually talked about a lot of different cool subjects. We talked about politics, religion, music. And I actually think we had a lot of intelligent things to say. And I actually think we've done previous interviews that maybe haven't been as stimulating or maybe it's just because we're drunk it seems stimulating it be a, or whatever it could be a combination of a lot of things but I've, alcohol I've, is one of them 